Hi everyone, I hope things find you well and you've been having a great time in the hobby. Uh, this is a bit different but I obviously have done uh, things like this before as sort of a preface uh, to the episode. And uh, yeah, I've sort of debated this one around in my head a bit as to whether I was going to offer explanation or not. Yeah, I thought about being a bit ambiguous about it, not uh, being, being direct. But in the end, I thought it's better just probably be open with people and I can explain as succinctly as possible because generally you're you're a decent bunch and uh, I think most of you will get it and um yeah and that really concerns around why this episode has uh, taken so long really because it's focusing on a tournament that obviously began at the beginning of um August and uh, I'm releasing this episode now uh December and um yeah, so I, I just want to give people, because I know some people use this as a bit of uh, escapism, uh, the chance to step out now and just skip ahead uh, to the episode start proper if you don't really want an injection of normal life, really. It's nothing too bad. It's just a normal part of life, really. Um, but some of you may not want to be brought down or uh, may have had things in your own lives and you, you don't really want to be reminded. So this is your chance to step out now and... and uh, from about now, I'm just going to offer a little bit of explanation, really. So, um, yeah, essentially, I gave myself uh, four weeks off uh, in August, really, from doing this, just because I had basically painted about two and a half armies and uh, gone to these various tournaments, done a lot of practice games and stuff, and I just put a lot of time into this, really. And I wanted to uh, spend some time with my girlfriend, uh, my family, and my dog, really. Uh, and that's what I did, and it was a great time. And, uh, yeah, then I was sort of getting back to normal, get back into the swing of it. And I had the episode probably about... 60 maybe 60 75 percent of the way done uh and then unfortunately uh my my grandfather who had been unwell admittedly for some time but it, it wasn't expected yeah uh unexpectedly passed away and um yeah it just uh it knocked me for six really and uh you know not not in the good way and um I've been all right. Uh, all the family have been all right. It's been, you know, like with any passing, it's upsetting. But I was very close to him, and uh, it was quite hard for me to deal with. Um, and uh, I've managed to keep things together, and you know, do the usual, going into work and keeping the ball rolling uh, in terms of looking after ourselves and each other and stuff. But there was quite a few things for me to do, and um, you know. Uh, as anybody who's lost anybody knows that's particularly close to you, um, there is a bit of a stage of, you know, you're putting on a, a brave face. And uh, I was having to do quite a bit of that in terms of work and other things. And um, I think one of the reasons I've enjoyed this um, and the reason why it's appealed to other people is that there's been a level of sincerity from me. And um, to, together with I didn't want to come in and be insincere and also the fact that this does take a reasonable amount of creativity not an excessive amount but I, th I think well for me anyway to be creative I have to be in a good mood really and yeah it just for about two months it just did not feel like something I wanted to do unfortunately I wanted to want to do it but yeah, I did. I just didn't feel that way inclined. Um, and yeah, I just more spent my my free time uh, seeing my friends and uh, and seeing my family. And uh, I did do hobby. I did do lots of painting and stuff. But this just felt like a bit of a step too far. 
but yeah, sort of two months passed, and I was finally, you know, feeling the uh, the mojo again um, to come back to this. And uh, yeah, as luck would have it, I pretty much plugged uh, my mic in. I used like a, a decent Razer headset, uh, which has got like a sound card to be built into it, and you can sort of modify the the mic to be reasonably good quality. Uh, and that's what I do everything on. Completely died, and yeah, it's then taken about three, maybe as long as four weeks to get a replacement. And uh, here we are, really. And yeah, um, I, I I hope that's not too too much, or you know, too much of a step into the the real world, or uh, I'm not late leaving people being like, oh, what, why are you going into that? It's it's because I really have enjoyed this, and. Um, I've I felt when I've done like sort of a little recording where I've just been like you know something happened in in some ways it sounds worse than it is um, and yeah I just thought the the uh, the best way was to just be straight about it you would all understand and uh, yeah I can just do this short message at the beginning and that that's why th- this podcast was recorded over a period of time really and that's why if you're mentioned in the correspondence you'll be like. God, I, I wrote that to him ages ago. Um, and there might be a couple of time references that, yeah, just don't uh, line up. But this is a great episode. And I want to stop, ra- stop rambling on about myself. But yeah, I thought this was the best way to explain that it's not that I've fallen out of uh, love of doing this. I just, I had something happen that doesn't happen all the time. And uh, yeah, I, I, I needed to deal with that. But I'm back now. I'm looking forward to... Um, you know, the coming year of 2023 in terms of the hobby. My granddad always encouraged me to be myself and do what I love. And I'm looking forward to, in the new year, getting back to that and uh, sharing some of those adventures with you all. Hello and welcome all to the Middle Earth in Mercia podcast, episode 7, A Long Expected Party, Ardacon Doubles Championships 2022. Welcome back everyone, I'm your host Sonny and this is the Middle Earth in Mercia podcast. And boy do we have an episode for you today, I'm really excited to be releasing this episode. I think out of all seven of the episodes that I've released so far, this is the one I'm most happy with and it feels like a bit of an achievement so I really do hope that you all enjoy it. I'm sure if you have stuck around for this many episodes waiting for me to finally get to Articon and you've had the patience that you are going to enjoy it and yeah it's our Mount Doom really of season one and it feels like a big achievement to have uh, finally gone to Articon, done it and produced the podcast and I really have tried to take my time on this and to make sure that I'm not just doing the editing and producing this in a rush 
as a thank you to all you listeners really for sticking with me on this journey just you know seeing those albeit modest numbers tick up on how many of you are listening has been a real motivator and has made the whole experience like even better than it would have just been doing it in isolation without producing a podcast and yeah that is a big takeaway that I can't recommend to you guys enough if you're listening to this and you are thinking about taking the plunge I'll go up go through in in my summary more about you know whether Ardcon is perhaps the the right tournament for a newbie Uh, and maybe it is but you have to wait and uh, find out but if there's a tournament you've got your eye on and you're looking to take the plunge follow a few bits of advice that I've placed in this podcast go out there with the right attitude and you'll have a great time and for those of you that are a bit more relaxed than me, like I've talked about gaming attitudes, maybe some of you care a lot less about winning than me. Paint your armies and get out there. You don't even need to do any prep. You'll have a great time. The vast majority of people are awesome to me, and I can't recommend it enough. But I will save all of that for my summary, really. Uh, the only other things I'm going to add uh, quickly before we move on to the next topic is just some minor uh bits of context so number one is that Articon weekend uh, took place in that week in August where we had some exceptional temperatures in the UK so it was very very hot the Mercure Hotel in Manchester quite frankly their aircon was completely overwhelmed and basically wasn't working and number three I've mentioned it but when I returned from Warhammer Doubles I uh, unfortunately came down with Covid having caught it there and yeah, I tested. I was tested negative by the Sunday prior to the Thursday of Articon, so quite a few days separation, testing negative. But for about 10 days afterwards, I was just very fatigued and I, my body just seemed to be having trouble uh, temperature regulating. And uh, I at times felt like I had a fever, even though I very much did not have a fever. So yeah, that's just a bit of context. It was very hot. The aircon wasn't working and I was having particular difficulty with it. So that will come up a little bit in the doubles, but I'll probably, yeah, it does play more of a factor in the singles in terms of the overall experience. But yeah, don't focus on that. I just thought I would mention it because it, the topic does come up a, a couple of times during the recording. But I'm I'm really excited for you to listen to this and I, I really do hope you enjoy it. I've got a lot of coverage also from my doubles partner, Paul, who I do, we, we really delve into like uh, where he, he's come from. But in short, um, in, in case uh, I don't mention it, for a while in the recordings I've got with him. Uh, Paul is a friend that I met through Tom. Not original Tom that's featured on on the podcast, but this is uh, another Tom who helped me put together the the Articon uh, team for the singles, who has been a great friend to me in the hobby. And uh, yeah, shout out to Tom. Thanks for all your help again. If it wasn't for you, honestly, I wouldn't have had as great an experience at Articon uh, as I did. yeah, I uh, can't thank you enough for that, mate. And uh, yeah, I had a great time uh, playing doubles with Paul. You're, you're here from the recordings. We we like, struck up a decent rapport considering, yeah, when we got in the car to drive to Articon, it was only the second time uh, I had met him in person. And yeah, I think we did a fantastic job and it's credit to us both as being, you know, reasonably capable as war gamers that we did manage to... Um, to uh, 
play and work together uh, as well as we did. And I think it was a great success. I'm not going to spoil how we did, but you'll have to wait and see. So yeah, that really is going to be the the main body of the episode. Uh, I've got so many recordings that it is pretty much going to cover the whole of the episode. I don't think we've got any news this week because I did do, well it was meant to be a short episode but it wound up being an hour and 40 minutes, but I did that um, sort of extra episode just covering uh, hobby updates and all the news and releases and uh, also put my um, uh, put my small piece out there about what I thought of the Rings of Power. So yeah, I really have covered all the news. So I think the only other thing that we've got to cover is uh, correspondence. And there's a, there's a couple of things to go through. So first out, just thank you uh, to Dave. I'm not going to mention your last name because I don't want to dox you in case, <laughs> in case you don't want your whole name out there. But yeah, Dave, thank you very much uh, for your message to the... Uh, to the Facebook uh, page, uh, Middle Earth in Mercia podcast. Uh, really appreciate you liking it and taking the time to send a, a nice message about what we're doing over here. And uh, if, you, if you want to support the podcast in a non-cost uh, manner, then uh, please do go over to the Facebook and like the page over there. That helps us reach out to more members in the community that the podcast might be of interest to. And finally, I received a message this week, it was, just letting me know by, again, another new listener to the podcast. Yeah, was just writing to me and basically uh, let me know that there is a Tabletop Games Club right on my doorstep that I was completely unaware of that has a small Middle Earth community. So I thought I would give them a bit of a mention in case, like me, you're in the West Midlands area slash around Coventry or Warwickshire and uh, it might be applicable to you. But yeah, I was completely unaware of this, but Bedworth Tabletop Games Club, obviously based in Bedworth, I think they've run their their games out of the local conservative association there. I I, I guess they rent it off them. I don't think it's an affiliation. But yeah, I, I, I didn't know about this, and yeah, depending on where you are in Coventry, that can be very close to you. I think for me, it's only about a 10-minute drive, because I'm sort of on the edge. But yeah, I thought I would give them a mention. I don't know when I'm going to next be able to get over there. Uh, they did currently add me to their WhatsApp group for organising games with other Middle Earth players. Uh, and I did, uh, I did mention I may be a bit of a lurker for a little while, because I've uh, got quite a lot on. But yeah, I, I definitely want to get over there at some point. They meet on Tuesdays, uh, 7 to 10.30. And uh, like most games clubs, there's a small fee to help them run things. So it's £2.50 uh, for each night. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to get over there and play some of the guys uh, at Middle Earth. Apparently, they've got something... In the re- I think he said they've got something in the region of 15 players. So that would be great if that appeals to any of you and we can help nurture that local scene. They've got they've already started to build at Bedworth. I, I certainly will try to get over there at some point. And uh, yeah, if you want more information about the club, then they've got a Facebook page, which is just Bedworth Tabletop Games Club. 
Now, before we delve into the coverage, it is probably worth just establishing what Articon is. I'm sure I have mentioned it in the past and that the vast majority of you probably do know what the tournament is. But for those of you who don't, I'm sure it's probably less well known uh, abroad, uh, especially if you don't travel for tournaments. But Articon is probably the largest Lord of the Rings Middle Earth uh, strategy battle game tournament in the world, I believe. At its peak, it has capacity for about 250 entrants, and it is uh, organised every year by the indomitable James Clark, who puts in a tremendous amount of effort every year to put on this tournament. I'm almost certain that he's not doing it for any kind of profit, and the amount of time he puts into it is is impressive. And uh, yeah, I think I think all of us that attended really have nothing but good things to say about the effort that James puts into it. I know he's got a a, a team of people that assist him with it and it, it, if you want to look on their Facebook you can see what the wider team is. Unfortunately I don't have their names. But yeah, it is a immensely large uh, tournament and it's got many different parts it's got the the masters where typically people who've won large tournaments which count as entry uh, to Articon so all tournament winners basically playing off against each other in a sort of smaller elite tournament then it has yeah the open categories are uh, the remainder of it is so first there is the two-day doubles which yeah, if you buy a ticket, you can get entry to, which is what I took part in. They also additionally did a one-day doubles because some people weren't uh, available and James decided to on for them, which ran on the Friday. Uh, then there is Chaos in Arda, which is run on the Friday night, which is sort of, if you haven't played Chaos in Arda, I will go into it a bit, probably in the next episode but it's sort of like a fun game it's got these cards and it's got random objectives it's just a bit of a laugh on friday night but it, it does take a while and you're playing for a bit and and there is a winner and stuff but it's, it's taken less seriously and then on the saturday sunday there's another six games just like the doubles which is singles this is the big one basically this is what everybody takes really seriously i'm sure the masters players really want to win that but in terms of most normal people what what you're wanting to win is the singles or do well in the singles. For me personally, I don't really understand why doubles is taken less seriously. I think it is, it's its own game mode and I wanted to win that as much as I wanted to win the singles really. But that is the way generally people view it. And yeah, the singles, you're on your own, but there is also a team element where you can have nine people, very much like the fellowship, all coming together and uh your i think it's the top scores of your yeah your top four scores uh from each round are submitted and basically you don't want to have a loss uh, so you need at least four of your players winning or drawing every single round to really do well in it and yeah this year despite the fact it was the first time i attended Articon, i'm very happy to say we had a full roster for the middle earth in mercia team and yeah so that in in brief summary is the whole of Articon and yeah it, it generally gets a, a lot of publicity amongst the community and rightly so uh, I'm sure you'll be aware like for instance the, the Green Dragon po podcast I travel over, uh, over for it sometimes I think that's the most notable people I can think of that you may know of but 
there's contingents from all over the world that come. So I believe it's the Unexpected podcast from America. They came over. There was a lot of Dutch players. There was a lot of French players. It is very international. And I think that's really what, not just the size of the tournament, but what really sets it apart is that this is more or less, you know, as close as we're going to get right now to an official world championships. And yeah, that I think they achieved that very well. And they are the only people on the planet really right now that have a, a right to even begin to claim that it's a, a world championships because I've never been to a war gaming event myself that was as multinational as this event so yeah if, if you want to know more they've got a web page they've got a, a facebook page go and check it out and uh, I'll obviously be talking about it a lot in uh, these next two episodes and, and giving my view on, on the tournament as a whole, the positives and negatives. But yeah, I, I think it's certainly worth your, your time looking, especially at some of the coverage of it. Um, the Masters and, and the lists that were being played in that are very interesting. But yeah, that, that's a quick summary of article. <laughs> Hello, so um, I'm recording live from Manchester. Well, not live, but uh, you know what I mean. We're on location in Manchester. It's the evening of the first day of Articon on the Thursday. Uh, myself and my, my gaming partner, Paul, um, have just finished three games of doubles. And uh, yeah, really, we're going to go through that. Um, so yeah, we're going to start off by introducing Paul, and then we're going to just really go through our, our frank observations of, of the three games, the venue, um, how the pointing is done, and uh, yeah, just you know the, the the quality of play and what we've taken away from it, because uh, that that was always the intent. That um, we're just going to give uh, a, a frank view to people that are considering coming to their first tournament, what it's like coming here. So yeah, Paul is uh, someone that I met through uh, Tom, who I've mentioned previously, um, uh, who's helped me put together the Middle Earth in Mercia team for the singles. Paul, you're you're one of his uh, playing friends that you've been to many tournaments too. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to do the usual sort of who are you and hobby history with Paul and uh, then we'll go through today's events. Yeah, but Paul, when did you first get into Wargaming and then Middle Earth? <clears throat> so my first experience of Wargaming or collecting Warhammer, I remember being you know, six years old, walking past the local games workshop, mm. seeing the models and thought, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mm. Um, Bought my first model, which is a Chaos Space Marine biker, which was six pounds at the time, and the paint yeah. job on it was awful. Um, and from probably about the age of seven through to 16, 17, I consistently played war games. My parents used Games Workshop as free babysitting services. <laughs> through the summer holidays at school, they'd drop me off at 10 and pick me up at six, seven o'clock in the evening, and I'd either be building, gaming, painting, whatever sort of took up that time and that space. So did you predominantly play at Games Workshop then? Yeah. And was massively. that was that with strangers or a group of friends? They tend to they tended to be probably a core of about seven or eight people that were aged from probably I was the youngest at times at age twelve through to about seventeen, eighteen, who would spend their school summer holidays playing there. Mm. Um, at the time, the game system that was played most in that store was Warhammer Fantasy, which was actually my least favourite. I had a couple of armies, was never any good at it. My favourite was Lord of the Rings, but because the age group was sort of a bit older, they were like, well, that's not cool to play. So mm. that was probably the game I was the best at. I played a few times and 
would end up playing against staff if I wanted to play Lord of the Rings. And probably the main game system that I played either with people and that was good at and enjoyed was 40k, mm. which would have been third edition and sort of ended up finishing off at fourth edition. So this was sort of early 2000s? Yeah, yeah, so probably through till about 2012 um, when I went to sixth form, so I'm 26. I played up until then and did the classic story of, you know, started being a bit more active in my later teenage years, mm. went off to university, stopped playing probably about the age of 16, I, 17. I, th I think we almost need to, at this point, come up with a word yeah. for doing that, because just everybody seems to have done that. Yeah, yeah, it's like the coming of age for the first time and you're into your second childhood <laughs> later on. Well, uh, yeah, me and Chris have discussed it before. I, I do think that... When you get a little bit more settled, um, when your social life calms down, and then most importantly, when you've got a little bit of expendable income. Yeah, I think that's. I think you say a really good word there was settled. I remember. Yeah, I wasn't very popular at school. This isn't a sob story. Um, and there was only a couple of people I knew that played. Mm. And I went off to university, and it is you know, a real chance to reinvent yourself. Mm. Um, and I almost became a, a completely new person. Um, I was much more confident. You know, had a really core mm. social group. And at the time, Wargaming didn't even feature in my mind. I kept my Blood Angels army that I had from 40k, because it was really nicely painted, uh, even for when foundation paints were the, the type of paints you were using, yeah. and you had inks as opposed to the how, shades and everything you have now. How did you find it at school? Because like, myself and a few of the people that have done these sort of interviews mm. with have sort of mentioned, you know, going to school for the article school club and you know sort of hiding it in your rucksack because you didn't really want people to know you were playing yeah i think cause... from probably year five to maybe year eight it was popular mm. especially lord of the rings if i was playing with people at school you know it was prime age group year eight would have been 2008 for me mm. um so you know the, the films were still fairly recent it's so, it's so strange even how like four, maybe five school years between us. Yeah. How radically different it is. Yeah. <laughs> in um, that age, because yeah, I was like at college at that age. Yeah, so um, I think year eight, up to probably about year eight was popular. I then went to senior school. I think I told people at first and I moved to school and that was it. It was a real hidden hmm. secret for me. I didn't tell anyone at school. I think I told one other kid because we both found out each other played. Yeah. Um, and we, didn't, we weren't even friends. Like, it wasn't like as if we then became friends and played. It was sort of like, I know his secret, he know my secret. We'd yeah. maybe have a chat about it when we were alone. And it was it was quite strange. But it, yeah, it wasn't a cool thing to, yeah, we, to, to do. Yeah, which is something I... Uh, the reason I like talking about that is because I think things have changed mm. uh, a bit now. Uh, I, I don't think it's one thing, but specifically, like, if you think about, like, sort of Marvel, for instance. Yeah. That's sort of like comic books, like when we were growing up, it's like, who reads comic books? And Game of Thrones. So I remember like, yeah. you know, when I was playing Warhammer, I also, you know, would go to a local comic store, mm. would buy comics. I'd have Hero Clicks at the time, um, would go to sort of a, a games night and play Hero Clicks. Uh, and like you say, you know, I, my favourite hero was Iron Man. But then the Iron Man mm. film came out and everyone's going, oh, Iron Man's awesome. Although, although actually thinking about it, I think this sort of, bringing the fringe culture into the main culture has been going on a long time. And maybe sort of, maybe like even Pokemon cards yeah. might have been the first stage of that. Um, but yeah, so let, let's move on a bit there. So 
you, you had a good time playing it when you were younger, and yeah. it sounds like you played it a little bit later than most, if you were doing it up to 16, 17. Yeah, so about 17. And then what brought you back? What, what appealed to it? What, what age were you? What appealed to you about it at that age? And wh was it a person or an event? Or So, I, like I said, I kept my Blood Angels army, um, and my girlfriend and I moved to a new area. And at the time, I was working... I work in construction um, as a surveyor, so I was on site every day. Uh, I knew people in the Oxfordshire area through work, and as soon as we moved house, I joined the local rugby and cricket club and was making friends in the area. Mm. Um, my girlfriend, on the other hand, didn't know anyone in the area, was working from home and joined the local cycling group, which the next youngest person was 55. Um, so we were on Facebook one evening and saw there was a post as like a get into hockey. Um, hmm. I said, well, this would be really good. We can both go together because it was mixed male and female. So we can both turn up. I'd never played before. Is this field hockey? Yeah, field yeah. hockey. Um, and she'd played a bit at school, but never really, you know, never played for the school or anything like that. She just did it in PE class. So we turned up. I actually really enjoyed it and started playing, going to training and playing for the men's team, of which one of the guys there, a guy called Mark Kempster, who, if people in the community are listening, will know Mark. And he I, had I don't because I'm an oblivious fool <laughs> to the community, but yeah, carry on. Um, and he added me on Facebook and he's quite public with his hobby life. Hmm. And I remember sat there and this was, it was during lockdown um, this happened. So I, this was two years ago, so I was probably 24, 25 in terms of the time of getting back into the hobby. And I saw him posting lots of stuff about Lord of the Rings and I was like, wow, I love, I used to love that. And like... Hmm. No one played it because it was almost seen at the time as the kids game at Games mm. Workshop. Um, and by the time the Hobbit game came out, no one played it. Um, and so I started chatting to him and I said, oh, you know, I, I, my, even my girlfriend said, oh, you still got that stuff at, at your parents' house. Mm. Um, of which I had a shoebox full of Rohan. Most of it was broken. And I don't even remember buying Rohan when I was playing. <laughs> um, none of it was painted. And... Mark, yeah, I sort of chatted to Mark and I ended up getting into three game systems. So before I stopped playing, Horus Heresy didn't exist. Mm. But I remember the books were probably out till Legion. It was, or maybe um, Prospero Burns. And I remember mm. thinking, I love the books. I thought yeah. they were absolutely brilliant. So I, all of a sudden, I was like, wow, it's a game where you can play Primarchs, you can play that era. Mm. Um, so I bought two boxes of Mark III Space Marines. I bought a box of Necromunda, saying, that's it, I'm going to get into Necromunda. And I bought a box of Lothlorien Warriors and Howder and Kelleborn. And I sat there and I thought, I've just spent £60 on Space Marines. And a Horus Heresy army is probably going to cost me about 1500 quid. I've bought a Necromunda, which I'm not actually that enthused to play. And then I've bought Lord of the Rings that I want to play, and I spent 50 quid, and I've got an army. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I've got 24 warriors, I've got two heroes to lead them. Um, I got re and so started painting up. This was sort of February of last year, so mm -hmm. 2021. Um, we were in lockdown, I started building and painting them, and got back into hockey as sport became available again. And it turned out another guy that I played hockey with, um, Callum Edens, was also... Um, playing Middle Earth, and there's also, if people are listening, will know he's one of the top players in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I started playing with Mark and Callum, and then in June last year, I went to my first event with Callum, who took me along and sort of 
showed me the ropes and I was so nervous. I remember turning up, shaking my mm. first game. And I'm not a nervous person, I'm quite a confident person. In, you know, I've worked in sales, I was an estate agent in London for three years and in terms of working as a surveyor in construction, I'm you know, meeting people regularly for the first time and selling mm. myself as much as anything. So I, I was, as a confident person, I found it quite strange to be so anxious about a game of toy soldiers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you found something similar when you did the doubles event or... Um, I'm, yes and no. I was a little nervous before we started the game, but I, I'm one of these people that's incredibly competitive. So right. I, I, you know, as you grow up, you learn to embrace who you are, but at the same time, you know, moderate who you are and learn, yeah. and learn how to use those things in useful ways. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's like, you know, being a bit of a hothead. Yeah, you, like you can learn to to Control use it, use yeah. that rather than you know being somebody that people don't want to be around, and um, yeah, you, you can use competitiveness in a useful way. So yeah, I, as soon as I got in the game, it was like yeah. right game hat on. I, yeah, I really like being in competition. Yeah, um, mm. I think it adds a, a spice to it. So I didn't quite, I didn't get that level of nervousness. Okay, but that's, when, that's when, interesting. When when I mean. I don't know whether nervousness is the right word. It, it was more looking around and being like, whoa, there's, there's a lot of armies here I've never faced. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just being like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to take a step back and really think about that. But I have really enjoyed that. But let's, let's get back to you quickly. So that, that's a good history of how you yeah. got back into it. So just quickly summarising sort of your, your tournament history. Mm. Um, how many events have you been to? And without going into detail, what was your best result? What was your worst result? Um, so I've I've tended since that event in June. I've tried to sort of do one a month, one every two months. So probably done. And that was my first event was a GBHL 100, which I wasn't aware of at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think I went two and four. So I was quite happy with that. Which it isn't bad for it, a GBL. Yeah. Uh, 100. Yeah. Um, I then did a, one in June. So probably I've done about, I'd say 10 events here or there, maybe 11 and 12 with smaller ones. Which, were they all two-day events? Not all of them. So there's a, there's a local scene in Milton Keynes near me that um, they're just sort of growing, actually, hmm. which they tend to do one-day events. And I did quite well there. I think I may have gone th three and one or maybe two and one if it was a three three or four-game event. Hmm. Um, I've tend to found the last sort of three or four events I consistently get um, three wins, three losses, mm -hmm. or a real push. I might get four wins, two losses, or three wins and a draw, um, mm -hmm. and two losses. So I'm quite happy with how I'm sitting in terms of a balance. I went to the Grand Prix at Seventh City a couple of months ago, and I got like my pod. They did a pod system there, mm -hmm. um, so everyone got split after day two into groups of six. Oh yeah, you won. You won with yeah. the pod. You were yeah. In. So I won the pod three. So in terms of what I like to feel is my group of level. I, I think I'm probably. I, I mean, I, I think to be honest, from what you're saying, that sounds like the level that most of us can hope to attain, without you know having to take it super super seriously. Yeah. Because I do think, um, obviously, especially with the way the rankings work at tournaments, mm. that it, it's an exponential curve once you start going above three three, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so you've you've probably done at least like fifty competitive games then. So quite yeah, quite a lot under your belt. Yeah. Um, so I met Tom. Sorry, through through Calvin. Going back to your previous question, mm. so I met Tom, and it turns out to be about seven or eight guys in the Oxfordshire community. Mm -hmm. um, so we play 
maybe once, twice a month against each other, mm -hmm. um, and then go to events as well. So in terms of getting good games against good level players, it, it's quite, it's quite a, an experience, mm. should I say, in terms of trying to reach and maintain that level of competitiveness and also yeah. enjoying it. You know, you still got to take a list that you find fun. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, it's not like I take filth lists. I take stuff that. Mm -hmm. I find fun that I have painted. Yeah, I've seen I've seen your list for Ardicon, and yeah, I wouldn't call it filth. It's mm. just a it's just a decent, well balanced list. Um, and yeah, just to complete the link there, I, I think how me and Tom got in contact was uh, at the time I had a team of four, I think it was, and Tom jo joined us uh, with his uh, partner uh, Joe. with Joe uh, to make it six. And then when uh, Chris dropped out. Tom heard about it from the podcast, uh, and uh, we were talking about it. And after about a week, he, he mentioned that Paul might be interested, and we were able to tie up there. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good hobby history. So mm. we're going to leave that section there. Uh, thank you, Paul. Cool. No worries. Okay, so we didn't actually, uh, unfortunately, find any time to do any recording during the day, uh, which is something we'll try and change tomorrow. I think it was just because we had some quite long games. We had to get something to eat at the end of the day, um, but hopefully we managed to find uh, some time tableside tomorrow because I think it is good to sort of give the view of in the moment, um, although we can sort of take ourselves back as it's not been that long as how we were feeling earlier um nothing really beats sort of you know ca capturing that moment of a uh, frustration or elation so yeah three games today uh that me and paul played so we're going to quickly go through our army list so i'm going to take you through mine uh and then paul's going to take you through uh his and we'll both give you a, a, a short blurb on sort of the, the methodology and thinking on there so my list i am pretty happy with but I'm not going to lie there is an element of laziness in that I didn't want to paint anything else <laughs> and uh, I wanted to stick with what I knew from the, the previous doubles and I have done a lot of play testing on uh, my Haradim list so it's essentially just a slimmed down version of the Warhammer World doubles where I've taken out the infantry from uh, Suladan's uh, warband and one of the Watchers of Kana from the, the, the Haradim King so in Warband 1, I've got Suladan on horse with banner, uh, armoured horse that is, two serpent guard, um, and then two raiders with war spear. Um, nice little punchy force if you get the drop on someone, and especially if they're not an elite army with that fight skill 4, and then getting a, um, a heroic combat off in, in the right situation with Suladan, you can potentially like wipe out quite a nice unit of, uh, of infantry is the thinking there. Some people did sort of advise me maybe put a, a few of the numbers in there, but um, I wanted the ability that if I needed to, I can just call a march with Suladan and just zoom off across the board and not have to worry about the infantry. So that was the thinking there. So far, it hasn't burned me. Um, I've not had a situation where Suladan has had to face up straight uh, in, in the eye with someone else and then get swarmed by infantry. So hopefully that doesn't happen. And then in Warband 2, we've got the Haradim King on a horse with war spear. Um, I like the Haradim King. Really wish he had strike. I've gone on about that before, but he doesn't, unfortunately. There's no other option, uh, other option in the list. 
um, with someone who's on a horse with strike. But he does have that wall spear. He does have the horse taking him up to three attacks. He can be really effective in the right scenario. And I normally use him for my heroic moves or a heroic combat in the in the right scenario. Uh, and then uh, joining him, we've got five Harrodin warriors with bow and spear. And then one with bow, just because I ran out of uh, points for the spear. Six Abrakan guard. I favoured them over the uh, Watchers of Kana, just because they've got D4 and it gives them a little bit more staying power. And then one Abrakan guard. Uh, which rounds me out at 19 models, means I've got uh, my half at least, a, a break point of 10, 6 bows, lots of flexibility, uh, the same vulnerabilities as the Haradim list I've always taken have in that doesn't have a lot of staying power, so you need to get in there and, and do the damage before it gets to the end game. So that's my half, and now I'm going to hand over to Paul who will take you through his half. Yeah, I think you just said you had 6 Abrakan guard, then you said an extra. Abrakan guard, so it was a Watcher oh. of Kana. Sorry, just to correct yeah, you it before, was a of Kana, before yeah. we uh, before we move on. Um, so, as explained in the my hobby section, because I was a late edition um, and Sonny already had his Sir Haradrim list lined up. Uh, I thankfully take Mordor as one of my regular armies. So we had a bit of a play around, and we, in the end, we went for sort of three heroes on my side. So I've got Goroth with who's the leader for my side, with three Black Numenorians, three Moranans with Spear and Shield, uh, Zagdush with three Black Numenorians, three Moranans with Spear and Shield, and Guritz with two Black Numenorians, two Moranans with Spear and Shield, and a regular Orc with Shield. Thinking from my side was, originally I had a Ringwraith uh, with the Black Numenorians to give Harbringer and shut down any big heroes we may come across. Um, but Sonny and I sort of said, you know, doubles is meant to be fun, the Orc heroes have all got quite neat little tricks, which give them a bit more personality. Um, I've got two strikes and a march with those three heroes and nine might. Uh, got a bit of stability with D6 and obviously two of the heroes having strikes. So we said, you know, actually, we probably counter each other quite well in each mm. other's weaknesses. My mobility isn't great. and I don't have a banner, but okay, I've got a march, but Sonny's obviously got the movement with the cavalry. And the banner was Sulodan. So we thought we had a fairly well-rounded, balanced list. E even with the results we've had today, which I would say I would have liked one more win today. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna tease you a little as to what we've got uh, until later. I would have liked one more win today, and I think we probably deserved one more win. I think we got some. Our first two games were really hard matchups. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would say, even despite that result, is. The only thing I don't like is in the scenarios where keeping Suladan alive doesn't matter is a little frustrating. We don't have another banner because I still yes. have to be careful with him. And Suladan is my, my my mightiest weapon, really. Yeah. So, yeah, that it, it it's a little frustrating for me. But as a whole team, you've got those three heroes which yeah. you can just throw into the fray. And I think that does work quite well. I think the three scenarios we've played, which we'll get to shortly, all of them have banner points as victory points. Yeah. And it wasn't just you get one point for a banner, it's you get two if your opponent doesn't. So mm. it is a real, he has been a real crucial point of our army. Um, and like you say, you've had to be cautious with him. He, ha he hasn't died, has he? He's not died. Yeah. His horse has died. Yeah. So he's, I don't think he's, he's not even taken a wound. No. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's because when I was playing with Chris, uh, which if you've listened to that episode, 
you'll, you'll know uh, I was a bit reckless. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned, learned that lesson. Yeah, I've learned the hard way that you definitely have to um, protect those points. So anyway, on to our, our games. So game one, which we commenced at 10am this morning, was against Assault on Lothlorien. Which, although I've only played nine uh, tournament games, I have now played twice, uh, despite it being a new list. I will say I quite like respected the sort of twist that our opponents had with this one, um, in that they used lots of spiders. Yeah, so one with... of them plays Dark Denzons and Mirkwood. Yeah. Loves the spiders, and he said, not fussed about the, f- the competitiveness, I want to take what I find fun. Yeah. And lead spider heavy. Which, yeah, I, I think um, if you're going to play this super competitive, you're probably going to take three three or so bats. You're going to use them as horrible tar pits. Um, you're going to send them into frenzy because they've got the full wounds so they can afford to take them. Um, you wait for your opponent to make a mistake. You zoom across the lines. And, yeah. uh, and then you either use up a lot of their resources um, with them trying to keep it alive. Or if you're lucky, uh, you kill the hero, which is exactly what... Uh, Happened to me and Chris in one of our games. They zoomed across, forced Suladan to use two of his might in one turn to stay alive, effectively. Um, but anyway, we've, we've been over that. So yeah, it was Jewel of Wits, which I love from a gameplay perspective. I think I've said before, don't really like it as a competitive game. <laughs> uh, but as a fun game, yeah, it, it's, gra- it's great. Like uh, This is the exact kind of game I would like to play with my friends. Yeah. Turning up and like uh, my, uh, I would say our ambition and our aim is to go three and three. So having one of the six be jewel of wits is a little hard to contend with because mm. you you don't know which way it's going to go and until those pieces of paper are turned over at the end. So in a, in a quick summary, both uh, all the players write down a target. Um, you're not meant to tell uh, your ally what the target is, and even if there's a a, a little bit of discussion going on with that. At minimum, you don't know what your opponents have written down. And you need those targets uh, you need to get into the centre of the board within six six inches. And those are what score you the majority of the points. And also, you don't know who you need to protect. Because, again, the targets. So, yeah, really nobody has a clue how the game is going unless you've been tabled uh, and, until the end of the game. And um, really, I think we play... Pretty damn well in this game, uh, Paul. We, we we did very similar as to what me and Chris did uh, when we played at Warhammer World. We stacked up on one opponent, did them in pretty well, but things were just a bit slower than we would have liked. I think I had two turns of really successful winning combats with all my Abracan Guard in, in two-on-twos, better fight skill and banner. And in those first two turns, uh, and rough estimation, I think I killed about three goblins out, out <laughs> of a possible probably twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which uh, with the Abracan guard, I was wounding them. I think on threes. Threes. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they didn't I, have shields. They was they were either bowmen or spearmen. And yeah, I just kept rolling twos, which meant even with my Haradim spearmen, I couldn't get the rerolls. So that certainly didn't help. I did a bit of a muck up very early on. I completely missed it. Um, forgot uh, about the heroic combats and the way that you can stack up and uh, I lost my king, long story short uh, first turn and uh, yeah, I spent a good 80% of the game thinking, yeah, the king was the target I've blown the game for us I think you're harsh on yourself there they they, they made that move quite strategically mm. and 
I even I probably didn't see it coming. Mm. Um, you know, they they I can't remember if they shroud of shadows or whether they're enraged. The spider. They they enraged it rather than shadows. Shroud <laughs> they didn't need to do shroud no. shadows because it took them up to fight six. Yeah, and then they catapulted with Druzag entering the combat. Yeah, um, which you know you think in your in the mind's eye that that isn't something you want to do. So I think yeah, to say that you were naive in that sense, I think that's very harsh. Or mm. you made a mistake. It was a big risk from them, and mm. it paid off. But it equally could have gone the other way, and it, it was very unfortunate. But yes, I think we both sort of thought from that instance, well, we know at least one of their targets is that because of the way they spent might to get the Enraged Beast off and the combat, mm-hmm. and we, I think we both probably thought, yeah, that's one of their targets, the way yeah. they've had to spend resource to get there. Yeah, it did spend a fair amount of resource, and uh, I mean, I, I don't want to be that guy, and I do not blame my opponents at all. Um, they they did just unfortunately take quite a long time on their, their last turn, and it it wasn't such slow play. They were just carefully deciding what to do. But if we had got that last turn, mm. I think we could have won the game because, um, unfortunately, we did lose. What Do you remember what the score was? It, was it 7-3? Yeah, it was, um, it was quite a narrow loss. I think, to summarise, basically, we had... Guritz was within six of the centre and Zagdus was just behind him and out of six. Mm-hmm. So I called a uh, combat with... Zagdush was the last point of might to whip him round the lines because he was in a heroic move before so couldn't move without a six and still a down um, to get him within six. And unfortunately with that they called a combat with a um, I can't remember if it was Shaman or Druzag and basically mm. an enraged spider that had Shroud of Shadows ignored all the control zones charged into Guritz and killed Guritz who turned out to be both their targets. Yeah. And obviously stopped him being within uh, six in uh, the centre of the and, board. And the unfortunate thing there was I had a very important decision in that I had a heroic combat with Suladan and I could have either sacrificed Suladan by um, pairing off the spider, which meant he couldn't have gone with him, or I could have moved him within six of the centre. And uh, it was a bit of a flip of a coin decision, really. Yeah. Suladan could have been their uh, their target, I will give credit to Paul. He said I wouldn't personally t- chosen Siladan. I spoke to a few other people when they would have, and because he was the banner as well, so they would have yeah. got banner points as well as it, killing. It's just you, you can't know, and that is sort of what Jewel of Wits co- comes down to. You, you you can't know if I had done that. Almost certainly, maybe Siladan would have died, yeah. and he definitely would not have been within six inches of the centre. But Gur- was it Gur- Guritz would have survived. Gur- Guritz would have survived and we would have won the game. Um, so, yeah, I think it came down to something like a 7-3 yeah. l- l- loss. Um, and the last 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, uh, we, we did the math and uh, it, it could have gone the other way. It, it could have been a win for us. There's no major or minor victories in this. It's just five points for a win, I think, two points for a draw. Uh, zero for a loss so yeah that could have been a big win win for us it felt a bit gutting but yeah that's jewel of wits really it can go <laughs> either way it just depends what's on the uh, on the paper so moving on uh, and i do apologize i if i was better prepared i would have our opponent's names i know one of the names was dirk um they were from holland very nice guys and yeah to be honest to be honest it was one of those games that you don't Although we would have liked to win, you don't mind losing because mm-hmm. um, uh, they were good people to play against. They were definitely generous players. I, I like that phrase a lot. 
people that don't nitpick. You're firm on the rules, but you're not being ridiculous. And uh, yeah, they were good fun to play against. Did, did you find that, Paul? Yeah, I think they're they really nice guys. They kindly invited us to the Dutch Open in November and said if any of our friends want to make the travel across the pond, we're more than welcome. And I believe they also had a YouTube channel as well, which was the Rotterdam White Scars, where they do battle reports for Middle Earth, uh, Song of Ice and Fire and Legion. And I'll probably say this now, actually, all of our opponents today, thoroughly nice people. Mm. I probably need to start telling people about podcasts. I don't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at self-promotion. No, <laughs> no you, you keep it dark, apart from your, your not nice dice that seem to roll sixes. Very <laughs> Look, they are not fixed, all right? <laughs> okay, so mo- moving on to game two. Um, this was actually against one of our team teammates, uh, Imogen. Imogen Ledbetter, yeah. And... Who was her partner? Uh, so Imogen was with Jake Robson. Um, so Jake is quite big on the London wargaming scene. And Imogen uh, got into Middle Earth last year after playing quite a high level of Age of Sigma. And was at the Masters this year that was held in Swindon. So she is a very tough opponent. Um, highly regarded considering she's probably only attended five events the year before and podiumed at two or three. So mm. she she is a very good player and they had a very good list, which I'll let you... Yeah, so they had Ugluk scouts, essentially. Ugluk, was it Grish, uh, Grishnak? Grishnak. Uh, a Uk captain. Was there a second Uk captain? No, they no. had... Um... They had an Orc captain and Maha. Yeah, well, Maha, yeah. And just a shed, uh, two banners and a shed load of Uks. And a few all scattered in there. To be honest, although we lost this game, I was quite happy with how it went because it was... I Yeah, I'm not throwing shade at the list because I think it's a fine list. I, I, I was talking to her afterwards and it's the exact kind of good gaming list that I don't mind playing because it allows them to do stuff. It doesn't deny you how your army works. Uh, you just have to try and cope against it. I was a little intimidated at first because I've never played against this list. It's something I've read previously and I, I would like to play in future myself. Seems yeah. like the kind of list I'd like to play. High maneuverability, high numbers. There's no individual threat to cut the head off the snake. I really like that. It's fight four, strength four across the board. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And with, with the shields, you've got defense five as well, yeah. which is one, of, like <laughs> especially if you listen to the Green Dragon podcast and listen to that, that's one of the sort of optimal defense values in terms of points that you can have. They get animosity with the yeah, Legion. which is just a nice bonus. And uh, yeah, I think me and Paul played really, really well on a different, literally two or three different, uh, two or three dice rolls went ever so slightly different, and we won this game. Mm. Um, I, I had two, so frustrating. I had two Abracan guard that both won uh, their combats, and if they had wo- wounded, which they both failed to wound, um, only needing threes threes then they would have been broken and it would have been a tie i think yeah and you also had a turn where you had five 50 50 rolls where your fight um fight value was tied and they all went to the opposite (laughs) you couldn't roll higher than a two when it came to to deciding that and that was really unlucky it was our priority but Uh, the the aspects that went well is that they were trying to they had superior bow fire and they were trying to force us to come out and make a clear mistake i think there was that was very evident in the posturing. But I do actually think that... I think, to be honest, both parties played this game equally. Like you say, I do think Imogen is a very capable player. But I think we actually outplayed on the early parts of that game. I think it was... 
very overly cautious, the, the posturing and the pulling back. And it was sort of relying us to make quite a, a silly mistake to lurch out there. Instead, basically, we just formed a battle line in nice choke points. They were doing all this running around, only hitting on fives. To be honest, someone could shoot at me all day if they want to hit on fives when I've got, uh, I'm hitting on fours and re-rolling ones to wound. And they're wounding me on sixes. Yeah. And it didn't hurt. I had some quite nice rolling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, some very good rolling yeah. indeed. We basically, we, we killed six of their models through both our, they killed none of ours. We were closing the gap and they were like, okay, we need to come into them. Which meant that we got to choose the position of the battle, which is always the ideal. And uh, yeah, it went well for us. We just lost it in the dice rolls. I don't think we made any serious mistakes. No, it came down to one last dice, the last dice roll of the game, yeah. effectively. So with uh, the scenario, which was no escape, you get two points for killing the secondary leader. Mm. So we made we made a calculated risk that we were probably going to lose the game anyway. At this point, we were broken; they weren't. We both had banners, so we said, "Right." Goroth is going to go into Ugluck and he called a heroic move, uh, combat with Mahu and Ugluck and Goroth both struck I think we both struck to the same value you did yeah we both I rolled a 5 and mighted it up for a 6 he got the 6 uh, sorry Imogen got the 6 and so she got the 6 Jake had a few supports in there as well and it came to my dice to roll off to see who won the combat and we won it I then had 2 strikes with Goroth against Ugluck and I rolled a 5 and a 1 and because we didn't outnumber them, I didn't have the Mordor army bonus. She failed the fate. So you'd like to think that if that wasn't a one, we might have mm. had a chance of yeah. uh, of of getting... And that would have killed Ugluck. So we would have got the leader kill and that would have been then broken. Yep, because we were one away. So it was a real, you know, last dice. So yeah, literally three dice meant that we didn't get a draw and one dice meant we didn't get the win. Uh, yeah. Very close. Uh, again... Especially because Imogen's a competitive player and is a competitive list. I was a little apprehensive. I know she's in the team, but I don't really know her. Mm. But no, the, um, they were great people to play against, really good fun, and were may, maybe things would be different in singles. I don't, I don't know how they play mm. those games. But no, again, generous players. Bit both, gut, a bit gutted to lose the game, but it was a fun game. It was, and um, Jake and Imogen are both really good people to play against. And we had a laugh the whole time. Mm. Um, they're two people that I've met. Um, Jake through the London scene and playing with him against him in a couple of tournaments and get on really well and Imogen again I've met through tournaments and speak regularly with Tom and I and she's a, she's a really nice person as well so I was quite happy that as much as it was a difficult list and knew it was going to be a difficult game it was nice to play two people that felt comfortable with and knew that we were going to have a good time and a good bit of banter and be going mm. back and forth as well so moving on to our final game and because I want to do a quick summary afterwards. So we're going to try and power through this because uh, me and Paul are waiting to go to the bar at this point. Well, our drinks are empty. Yeah, they, they are empty. I'm starting to feel a little hungry. So yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to try and get this wrapped up in the next seven minutes or so. Um, so final scenario was cornered. And I was really happy with the way we played in this game because uh, I think maybe because I was getting a bit sick at the Warhammer World doubles and Chris is an old man in a 30-year-old's body. Uh, <laughs> we were flagging a bit when we were all Hammer World doubles moving into game three but I I felt like we I got a couple of things wrong uh, and had to be corrected um, which everyone did very friendly but yeah I, I felt that we just kept powering through and we were building to this win 
and we really deserved this win. It, it was uh, the scenario was cornered where one opponent has to start in the middle, uh, the other opponent starts on the outside board, and we start in a circle around them. And essentially, very quickly, me and Paul agreed, came up with a quick strategy of we thought that there was a good chance that they may come for me because I had lower defence. We we were sorry, we were facing the legendary legion uh, defence of Helm's Deep. Uh, Aragon, Haleth, uh, a load of um, Ro- Rohan with a few uh, guard and both. Ten Galadrim was yeah buzz. yeah both both forces had about five Galadrim in. Um, the other force had Theoden as the leader and and um, Legolas. Legolas. Um, so Theoden had to be the leader. They rolled. They were Team A, so they were defending in the center. So it was Theoden, Legolas, and what we've described in the center. And then the rest on the edge of the board. And yeah, me and Paul had a quick chat about it. Decided uh, they would probably come for me because I was a little bit more vulnerable in, in terms of lower defence, especially against Aragon. Suladan, if he gets a bit lucky, maybe he can kill Aragon. But Aragon is definitely a tier above. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. So Paul pushed the objective. I said, I am going to sacrifice myself for the good of the team. I'm going to hold them off. And I'm going to try and get in there. And just really lovely guys, not putting them down. But uh, I think we had a slightly better list for the scenario. Especially having those three orc heroes, which were just able to cut through people. Um, And we we outplayed them, in all honesty. Mm. Um, I do think, in general, their overall strategy was not bad. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, our opponents did make some mistakes in terms of the application of their might. Yeah, I think as well, even at the end of the game, um, one of the opponents, again, apologies, we haven't got the names up, they were also from the Netherlands, um, said he plays Defenders of Helm's Deep as a singles list mm-hmm. and applied it to a doubles and split it down the middle and effectively said that the list didn't work as a doubles list, which I can see their, their thoughts behind that. They did spend three might with Theoden very early on what I thought was unnecessary use of might. Yeah, yeah. By turn two, Theoden was out of might and Suladan was... Looking still at, with all three might. All, all three might, looking at him thinking, you look juicy. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the idea that Sonny and I had was that I had terror on my Black Numenorians. If I could push through the building that we had, or the ruins that we had, and get my Numenorians to the far side, where the Rohan were coming in from the board edge they'd have to pass terror checks to get into the building, which gave us an extra bit of defence about mm-hmm. getting them in. And Yeah, uh, I, I, in all honesty, we had a perfect game. Yeah. Uh, nothing went wrong. We did everything exactly to plan. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I lost four models. Oh yeah, I was absolutely massacred. Yeah. By, by the end of the game, I had Suladan and my king alive, and which I, I think shows you know, how I've become a little bit more cautious yeah. in that both my heroes were alive. Um, they were mightless, they had completely spent themselves, but they both had all their fate, and they both had all their uh, uh, all their uh, wounds. And uh, yeah, we um, we had more than double the uh, models in there, because they didn't have a banner, we had the banner points. We were broken, and they were unbroken, so they did get that, so it wound up being... 8-3, eight, eight, I believe. 8-3, because we, uh, we also killed Theoden. We killed Theoden, and... Because they don't get points for wounding or killing our leader, but keeping their leader alive, we were quite fortunate that we managed mm. to butcher Theoden. And so, yeah, it, it it was a good game, really. It 
after a while it did kind of feel inevitable unless we did something silly like allowing um well no there wasn't even points for Siladan dying obviously we would have lost two which would have taken us down to a 6-3 uh victory but yeah it just well, once we got in there and you had the terror, that was a very good idea to build the terror wall. It just kept them out of the building and yeah, it just, it just didn't feel like it was going to go against us. So yeah, um, a good day. Uh, well, I would have liked to have gone two and one. I'm not going to lie. I think especially like we were unlucky in game two. We were unlucky it, in game it, and even game one. Well, I mean, game two, twofold in that we lost the first game which meant we went in um, uh, to the lower half of the bracket. And then we came up against a good opponent who had just been unlucky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, a good amount of times you're going to face a, a slightly lower bracket opponent and we faced a higher bracket opponent. But we're submarining and we've we got to win. Tomorrow, and we're on the up. Yeah, tomorrow, <laughs> I really like the scenarios that we've got. And unless we come up against some filth, filthy lists, which I sincerely doubt, being as we're one and two. <laughs> <laughs> More assault on LaFlorian. No, I really hope not. <laughs> um, I completely hope uh, that we will go two and one tomorrow. Three out of three, probably a little bit too much to hope. Um, but if we get three out of three, the drinks will made for the rest of the night. You know, we, we, the if we get first. three out of three, we are getting hammered Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up since 3am and it's currently half seven, so I am feeling rather tired. So, won't be on it tonight, but if we win 3-3 three and three tomorrow, you'll hear us on the podcast. Okay, so, so very quickly, Paul, we're not going to spend more than five minutes on this maximum. Because, um, uh, yeah, I, I do appreciate your time and we've been sat in for a bit. And you've gotten a little bit quieter. <laughs> <laughs> Total Conquest tomorrow. Okay. I love this scenario. Is that Cla- the five objectives? Yeah, classic wargaming. I'm, don't bring, mean to blow my own trumpet, but I'm excellent at these ones. Uh, th- this is the scenario that I won against the Dragon Emperor, uh, with, uh, allied with Mordor. Is that Maelstrom? It is Maelstrom. So I get a bonus with Guritz as well R- if I'm the secondary. Nice. Which it is, yeah, adds an element of randomness, but we can light it up and stuff. We've got a reasonable amount of I might to add plus and um, minus one. I will be gutted if we lose to- to- uh, Conquest, because that is just like traditional wargaming. We're, there might be no podcast tomorrow, guys, if Sonny loses that yeah, game. I, I would have <laughs> thrown my phone at the wall. Um, so, yeah, I really hope we get a good win out of that, I think. I would like if we had a little bit more mobility, but I do have six horses. It's I've not, got March. Yeah, it's not nothing. Um, as long as we don't linger, and nobody, like, nobody likes a lingerer, no. um, <laughs> then we should be all right. Then we've got Taken Hold. Yep. Which, again, I mean, as long as we don't come up against... Eagles or something like that that has super mobility, then I mean, Suladan can march out with his riders at 15 inches. Yeah. Worst case, I sacrifice the riders and we try and get them out of there. Again, I like our chances on taking hold. And then finally, Clash of Champions, which who's your leader again? Goroth, who is an absolute monster. Yeah. Especially with the spear support. Fight five, strength five, a plus one to win with Burley. Yeah. He's two attacks, but if you get a spear support with him, he's uh, he's fairly handy. Yeah, as long as we don't come up against like a Thrangil, an Aragon, I really like our, our, our chances in that because we've got, we've got Suladan and Goroth, two really fighty characters. Uh, Suladan gets a lot of attacks on the charge. 
Goroff is a wounding animal. Like the, if he, he wins, was, he's, he's wounding most stuff on threes, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't see why we can't get two wins out of that tomorrow, and uh, I sincerely hope we do. But m- most of all, to be honest, let's hope we have as good a quality uh, opponents as we did today. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's all I can say is all of our opponents today were absolutely superb, and. Um, Hopefully, they'll be down at the bar and we can buy them a drink on the way down. Yeah, I mean, at Warham Ward, it really, really sucked the life out of the day playing an, a negative experience opponent. And uh, yeah, I guess I would prefer to go one and two today and have nice opponents than I would have liked to have gone two and one and had a negative opponent. So, yeah. yeah, a great day, really. Yeah, po- positive experience. I will say... They need to sort the air conditioning out of this hotel <laughs> badly. Like it felt like I was in an absolute sauna, some sort of sweat lodge. It was an endurance event. Uh, it was a good thirty-five degrees in there, I think. Uh, yeah, I was sweating on my flip-flops. Right? <laughs> that, was the, that was the best way to describe it. I did see you wearing the flip-flops, and I was like, "Why the hell is he wearing flip-flops?" And then about halfway through the day, it's like, "Yeah, it was a good choice." It was a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, great day all, uh, all in. Uh, me and Paul are going to take a well-deserved break to uh, go get something to eat and have at least a couple more points, I think. Indeed. All right, so cheers, everyone. We'll check in tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it's a great success. Cheers. Bye. Hi, everyone. It's the uh, start of day two, which is the... Friday here uh, out of come. Uh, just getting ready really, ga- gathering my things. Uh, it's about 20 minutes until game four or day day two uh, begins. Uh, Paul's gone down to the gaming hall already so I'm just in the room just sort of uh, mulling my thoughts together and uh, yeah thinking about the coming day really and uh, yeah I think me and Paul summed it up quite well yesterday. I, I really think we can go two and one today. Uh, to give us a 3-3 a three and three result, which would be awesome. Uh, I think we've got three scenarios that sort of favour our, our list in uh, quite reasonable ways. Um, Contest of Champions, I think, should be pretty good for us. Suladan and Goroff, um, both more than capable of getting quite a lot of uh, kills if we're just careful and make sure we don't get sideswiped by uh, any powerful heroes. And yeah, and then the other ones are objective-based ones, which I, I really like and I think I can play well. But yeah, it's a, it was a great night last night. I perhaps had one too many beers, maybe, maybe two too many beers. Uh, I had quite a few. I wasn't in a state or anything, but I am feeling a little bit sluggish this morning. Uh, not too bad, but uh, yeah, felt a lot better after breakfast. But yeah, uh, I'm not going to say I wouldn't perhaps consider having a nap at lunchtime rather than something to eat. Uh, so I think there'll be a few less uh, this evening. But um, yeah, it's been a really good vibe here. Uh, met lots of people, lots of people that are sort of, you know, running tournaments and uh, mem- long-standing members of the community and stuff. So that, that's been uh, cool to uh, get a bit more in touch with that and, and, uh, and, and see who's who. But yeah, uh, having a great time, really. Um, Onwards and upwards uh, for today. I hope you all wish me luck. And yeah, hopefully when I check in, we've picked up at least a, a, another win. Yeah, what one more to match what me and Chris did of uh, two and four, I'd be satisfied with. But yeah, really, really would like to uh, do three and three. That would be awesome. So yeah, wish me luck. And uh, I'll try and check in 
at some point during the day with Paul. All right, cheers, guys. Bye. Hi, everyone. Um, me and Paul have just finished uh, our game four, game one of day two. Um, it, it's uh, lunchtime, and uh, yeah, we've, we've just finished having a, a great game against uh, two. Were they Danish? They were from, yeah, they were Danish. Yeah. Really nice guys. Yeah, um, the captain of Team Denmark. We had a photo of them. Yeah, again, feeling really lucky. We've had four games against four great opponents. And uh, yeah, the, the scenario was Clash of Champions. Which this time, unlike Warhammer World Doubles, we played correctly, which was nice. So, obviously in Class of Champions, we were trying to get kills with our leaders, which was Goroth and Suladan, which although they're not top-tier heroes, are both plenty killy. So I quite liked that. But we were up against Dalamir and uh, Amda. Um, so it was an e Eastling army, which was basically Amda, Dragon Knight on horses, uh, and then as many black dragons as they could afford on on horses, with a couple of standard cataracts in there. And then on the other side, uh, it was just loads of corsairs and about eight crossbowmen. And they had a bowstring as well for the yeah. with the banner and a bow with mites. So that was quite nice. Yeah. And uh, pretty much how the scenario went was uh, they they sat fairly far back. Um, we went. Right in the middle, um, with quite a lot of cover around us, there were sort of three tents that were in a, like a triangle and opened up. And uh, and and yeah, Paul quite rightly said, um, I don't want to be shot at by those crossbows for a long time, so let's go right in the middle. So we just sort of stacked up in the middle. Uh, I had my cavalry on the left, I had my infantry on the right. And uh, Paul, do you want to just take us through what happened in the first few turns? Yeah, I mean, I was quite worried to start with. You look at um, the scenario and the two heroes they had, you've got uh, a fight six Ander, so all of our heroes would need to strike against him, and he obviously gets a free heroic strike as well, um, whilst Dalamir has got three fate, and he's also got um, Bane of Kings, so you chuck a hero in there and you do lose the fight, he's re-rolling fell to wounds against you. Um, we kind of... I, I called a march with Guritz early doors just to try and put the press on them, and... Between the the two bits of terrain formed a choke point of my terror wall with the Black Numenorians. Uh We lost a couple to shoot the first, maybe one's the first round of shooting yeah. and, a, and a throwing weapon, which actually kind of made a bit of space for Guritz and Goroth to come through. They engaged with a couple of models and the Dragon Knight came in. Uh, we took a risk with Zagdush going in on the Dragon Knight. We both struck, they won the strike off and did a wound to Zagdush. But he's fairly expendable. Um, and then we kind of chipped away with a few combats. No, no side really taking a clear, a clear lead on mm. on the on the wounds. But, um, but then I think two really important things happened, and one of them was intentional, and one of them wasn't what I intended, but went well, which was on the flanks. So I sent my cavalry round on the left, thinking we can start to pen them in, and they sent Dalamir over to the cavalry, which. He absolutely butchered them, but what this did was this left a um, one of their heroes way out on the left flank, our left flank, and at least two turns of movement away from the main combat, meaning he was pretty much capped that he could get those four kills, and that was about it. And then on the right flank, which, yeah, I, I was sort of operating mainly on the flanks, I managed to get a really key heroic move off, 
and I got all of my Abracan guard right into the um, into the cataphracts. So I had fight four against fight four, and yeah, I, I wouldn't say like it went remarkably well, but I was killing um, how many points of those cataphracts? Sixteen. Sixteen points. For yeah, Black Dragon. I, I was trading nine point Abracan guard for sixteen point Black Dragons on cataphracts. Um, I managed to also uh, go into their Dragon Knight. Because he just he what did he use those two points of might on? So he he called a strike against Zagdush, and then he used a point of might to. So we both rolled. I think I rolled a six, and he rolled a five in the Zagdush fight. So I managed to draw the second point of might out of him to to win the combat. Mm. Which, as they sort of engaged in a, in a skirmish way in the centre, it allowed us, especially with the terrible, to pick our fights, and we sort of came out used the. Black Numenorians mm. to shield. That worked very well. Um, where we wanted to pick the combats, so we had Goroth and Guritz sort of tag teaming and using Guritz's might after the march to to call combats with a double with Goroth to get him some kills, and then it also cleared a path for Suladan to come through the middle and mm. tag the Dragon Knight, which was a really easy kill for him. Just went in there, struck, won the combat, wiped him out in one turn. Because um, at, at that point, I was getting plus one to kill because Goroth had more kills, um, which was with the scenario special rule. So, yeah, I had uh, three attacks wounded on fours on him. So, yeah, got picked up two wounds nice and easy. And that, that was uh, Suladan's first kill. And, yeah, then the game was a bit of a grind, really. But it's sort of in, in the final third, I would say what was most important was Paul pointed out a really nice opportunity um, to. Rather than try and take out Amda, um, we just sort of ignore him, feed him, and instead we put Suladan into um, a fight where he had a Black Numenorian and a Moran and Orc help him, and uh, we did a heroic combat, and we were able to ping off into their uh, vulnerable crossbowmen, which, yeah, I think that was a really good pull, cool pull. That added four, four more kills in total um, to Suladan's ta- uh, tally, and we won the game by three uh, kills. Um, so, yeah, that was very important. That was a, definitely a good call. We did try and take down Amder with Zagdush again because mm. we, we knew he was expendable. We had two points of might left and we had four models in on Amder because um, we managed to get the priority. So we trapped Amder, both called a strike. He won the strike, obviously going from fight six up whilst poor old Zagdush is going from only lowly fight four. Um, but... It, it was it was a risk that we took. He he only killed Zagdush. It only went down as one kill for him, and because he wasn't a main hero in the list, it didn't really matter. So that was that was again was some of the things we tried to do to combat what they had. And it, and then I think also was really important, which was good from our list building really, is that by the time they ran out of might, I I think I was tapped for might yes. at that point. But you still had three at the point they ran out. And that allowed us to really control the game and just make sure that we were just feeding one into Amda and basically moving away from uh, from uh, Dalamir. And uh, and that was the way the game went, really. Uh, they won a lot of priorities and they did start to have a comeback. But Paul quite rightly used his experience there and said to me, look, we need to try and die here. If we can get caught, the game ends. We're in the lead. And we did lose, in the final turn of the game, well, the final two turns of the game, they went from six kills to 11, which was pretty scary. 
And they did, unfortunately, kill Gore off, didn't they, Paul? Yeah, Dalamir finally caught up. And where he was doing the moves, he, he was then in a sandwich between Amder and Dalamir. And we ran out of might for the last one. So it was, do you take Amder or Dalamir? And out of the two, I think I think Dalamir was the right call. But he managed to trap him um, with Bane of Kings. So he got the kill, which was... He only got three dice and I passed my fate. So that was, that was a frustrating... Um, lost to have because if he was killed by a regular guy it wouldn't have been an issue um he also obviously got backstabbers as well um i think i don't think he even needed it he rolled five and sixes uh and i think amdu was on more kills who so had the plus one to to mm. wound um so it was it was you know it was it, it was unlucky to lose that in the last turn but yeah i was i was looking at it saying you know we were quite a way ahead i think we were on 13 kills and i think Sulodan got one of them in the last turn but yeah, I sort of said, you know, let's if we can get the opportunity to win priority, let's not. We both broke, so we already had that. So once you've, in my opinion, when you've gone past the breaking and you've broken them, mm. and the game ends at twenty five and you're ahead, you've got nothing to lose. So if we had the opportunity, not used to stand fast, start taking individual courage tests, mm. which we never really got round to doing because they, they charged won, us. They, yeah. they charged us all. And secondly, well, you've got the lower fight value. Starts using stab because if you kill them, great. If you lose and they don't kill you and you kill yourself with the stab damage, it, it really worked for us. But in, in the end, it, we didn't even need to use that. They kind of yeah. really had a good last couple of turns. Gore, ironically, his death caught us. It did, yeah. So, yeah, that that ended the game. And, yeah, it was we had, I think, in the end, 14 kills. They had 11. And it, it was something like uh, I killed seven, you killed seven, something like that. Yeah, we were, we were fairly tied. They got the three victory points for uh, two victory points. Sorry for having their leader kill yep. another leader, and we the, both got one apiece for yeah, breaking. For breaking. So yeah, it made it a four-three victory, which there are no minor or major victories in this tournament. So that's just a straight win, five points for us. So yeah. Uh, I think we did really well. We kept our eye solely on the objective. I don't think that there were terribly optimised armies that we were up against. I think the Corsairs list was fine, but yeah, I think the Eastling list was maybe a little bit weaker. But as you said, Paul, in this scenario, didn't really matter. It, it mm. was the fact they had Amda. So yeah, a, a tough mu- matchup when applied to that scenario. So I think it was a really good win for us. I, I'm still a bit tired from last night, but I am... Like buzzing off that win, I'm really really happy with it. Means we we've got two wins, which have already equaled what we did at War, what I did at Warhammer World. So yeah, uh, I like the final two scenarios. I think if we don't have horrible matchups, I'll be disappointed if we don't pick up another win. To be honest, let's keep on rolling. Let's get this momentum going, and yeah. who knows, might be a cheeky four two, and we'll be. Very happy when it comes to Chaos and Arda tonight, if we're with four and two. Yeah, I I, I think I pro- last night when I was drinking, I promised a lot of people that I'd get very drunk tonight if we, <laughs> if we went four <laughs> two, so I, I might break that promise. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up getting very drunk last night anyway, so uh, yeah, drink, drowning our sorrows after the two one loss, but we will uh, we'll hopefully be celebrating tonight. Yeah, that would be good, and uh, yeah, it'd be a good good vibe to go into the singles with. Definitely. All right, then. We're uh, we're going to get some lunch. So, yeah, we'll let you know how it goes later on. Cheers. Bye. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, the morning 
of Arnicon singles on the Saturday. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't have time to check in last night, but uh, I played Chaos in Arda, uh, which I'll go into more detail at another time uh, when I can go through it, what, what the scenario is and, uh, and how mine played. Uh, between that and getting something to eat, uh, I just didn't have I didn't have time to make a recording, so uh, I'm doing it now, uh, so I can sort of capture my mood from the doubles before going into the singles. Uh, Paul's not here; he's actually popped down uh, for some breakfast, and I've decided to quickly do this. Hopefully, we'll have time to catch up with him, how he's feeling about the doubles, and how he's getting on with the singles today. Um, so yeah, I have fantastic news: three and three, we did it. We did it, the the aim. I am absolutely over the moon. Uh, as long as I don't go through the singles going naught and six, which hopefully I shouldn't, then, uh, you know, I, I am, that's me done for, for Articon. I'm so happy. Second event, three and three. Um, and we did not have an easy run of it. We faced a lot of gamey armies uh, and, and good players. But yeah, so our, our game five, because um, we, we spoke to you just after the, the game four. Game five was absolutely horrific, uh, to be honest. I can't remember what scenario is called. Uh, I need to get better at this. I haven't at hand. But it's where you've got the central objective and all four of you start in four separate corners. And uh, we were against the defenders of Helm's Deep once again. And they, they had a pretty good list, a, a nice split between um, war warriors, not too many... Um, uh, Royal Guard because it didn't really need them uh, and, and both ones had like elven warriors with bow and spear so that they could get that fight five uh, and having so much fight five was a really good counter to pretty much all the fight four we had in our force they had more shooting potential uh, the only thing they didn't have was was cavalry but yeah um, me and Paul sort of decided I would just try and take out one half uh, of the force and distract them and then because he's got all these orcs who are quite fighty, he'd go in the centre and try and take that. And I, my job was to just make sure the force I was fighting didn't get there. And yeah, it's essentially they had, in the force that uh, Paul was facing, they had Legolas and Theoden. And all Legolas did for the entire game, pretty much, was just fire expert shots at his heroes, which just... They were rolling well, and it just kept whittling down, and uh, yeah, I think he was quite frustrated with that. And then in my half, honestly, I, I just couldn't seem to do anything right. I, I got the charge off with my cavalry. I was pretty happy about that. Uh, I got a good amount of my African guard in. I did lose a couple before we got into to bowfire. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, like, my opponents beat me, but I, I don't want to blame it on dice rolls because I don't think that's fair. To, to them, uh, I don't like it when people do that. But the honest thing is, like, yeah, I, I just didn't have any luck that game. I think I honestly th threw about six, uh, no, sorry, three sixes the entire game, and I, I'm not being hyperbolic there. I barely threw any. My king did absolutely nothing, and I essentially uh, killed Gambling, took a wound and a fate off Gimli, um, and killed about maybe as little as four models in exchange for getting my entire force tabled of uh, of 19 people, so uh, including Suladan and the King. So yeah, pretty dreadful. I did stop all but two of his models getting to the center, so I did you know, kind of achieve my objective to a degree. There weren't any points for being broken, I, I believe it was all on the central objective. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I'd have to double check. But um, 
yeah, just went absolutely terribly. Um, unfortunately, and yeah, th- this is where I may differ from other podcasts because I'm, I'm not here to be everyone's friend. I'm not that kind of person. Uh, I'm not going to be, you know, hopefully a, a spiteful or, or horrible person and I'm definitely not going to name and shame. But the guy that um, Paul was playing was just a, a disservice to Articon really compared to the other people we'd played throughout the day. He was very difficult. It, he had played four games at this point, and yeah, he was playing the rules to the Legendary Legion long. He was telling us his bows were 30 inches, uh, even when he was moving. And we, we said, well, no, that's not the rule. Almost developed into an argument, because he was very, he was just very aggressive about everything. And uh, uh, I've got no problem at all if I've done something wrong, someone pointing them out. But he, like, immediately, if anything was wrong, he was just sort of treating it like I was trying to game it. Um, and yeah, he just, uh, I didn't have to have that much interaction with him, but from what Paul told me, um, he, he just made it a horrible game for him and, uh, one that he didn't enjoy playing. Uh, the chap I was playing, I will check his name later. I want to go through the names of the nice people I played because it's almost all of them. Uh, well, yeah, everyone apart from one, he was as nice as could be. He, uh, like I, I was not having a fun time of it, but he was a very nice chap and that made it a bit easier. So yeah, that was game five, uh, which I think wound up being a 6-0 loss. That sucked. But then going into the final game, it was a total contrast or total dominion, however. It's the one with the five objectives. I love this scenario. Um, having played a lot of 40k, it's very much like 40k uh, objectives. Uh, my bread and butter, really. And uh, yeah, we started off incredibly strong. It was me facing up uh, with Imra Hill in the centre. With all my Abakan guard, uh, Suladan, the king, me starting in the centre, and then Paul starting um, with the Maelstrom deployment. And their other, um, their other warband was Gandalf and uh, and Fiefdom's stuff. So it was a little, uh, no, so he didn't have Gandalf and Ministeriff. I was playing the Fiefdom's. And yeah, basically, uh, great for me, really. Uh, Imrahil was very difficult, but yeah, um, fight four and fight four getting to start right up in their faces. That's exactly what I want with my choppy boys. Um, and yeah, we just went at it. Um, and yeah, I killed a lot of them. They killed a lot of me. I really spent myself just wiping out that really strong central force. Imra Hill was unbelievable in trying to kill. I think we got him down to one wound, no fate. But yeah, we just couldn't do it. With several turns of having him trapped, doing all sorts of shenanigans with strike and stuff. And just couldn't do him. Uh, my, my, my king and Celadan died, but they died for the cause. Celadan, I think, took two points of fate and one or two wounds off Gandalf and really kept him out of the game for a lot of it. Um, I did lose my horse to him, which was a bit annoying. I think if I had had the horse, I would have probably been able to kill, uh, kill a few more models. But yeah, we wound up, uh, what was it? We had contested two objectives and we had two outright and they only had one outright. Uh, we broke them, and we were literally one model off breaking, uh, so it wound up being a 7-5 uh, uh, win, and it was an absolute thriller. Yeah, really down to line. Very stressful to have the last uh, game of the doubles, and especially really wanting that 3-3 win. It was quite stressful, but uh, yeah, really thanks to Paul uh, for being a great partner in the, t- in the tournament. Um, Considering we didn't know each other, like it could have gone far worse, and I had a great time, really. So yeah, th- thanks, Paul, and yeah, great work, really. Um, 
he definitely pulled his weight. I think we both pulled our weight, given suggestions. Yeah, really good result, and uh, I think we can both be happy with it. And we played in what I would consider to be a kind and courteous manner. And and thank you to all our opponents. Like yeah, literally. Uh, so how many games is it? Six, twelve opponents. Eleven out of twelve opponents. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, fantastic. And uh, the the two Dutch fellas we played in our first game actually won most sporting. They they didn't actually get my vote. I I, I voted for somebody else that uh, we we beat uh, beat who were just very gracious in defeat, and I think they deserved it. But the 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 guy the Dutch guys from the game one. Um, they were lovely as well, but you know, it, it's hard to judge. I'm sure they lost some games, but it, it is very easy to be gracious when you're winning, to be honest. But uh, I, I, from the sounds of it, they were gracious all the time. So, yeah, well done to them as well. But uh, yeah. So there you go everyone, those are all the recordings that I had from uh, the Articon doubles. As you can probably tell, I, I had an absolutely great time there. Yeah, I think the uh, the Articon doubles was easily easily my most fun tournament I've attended to date. Paul was a, a, a great partner and it was, uh, it was really sort of informative and educational for me uh, and a great learning experience as a player to be playing with somebody that had a bit more experience uh, than me uh, at tournaments yeah i i definitely think that in the the doubles sort of arena if you are the junior player you get slightly more out of it uh, than the senior player i think paul had a great time as well but yeah uh, that was just sort of an extra bonus uh, for me personally out of that on this sort of journey of I think, yeah. Now, now that I've I've gone to Ardcon, that I I want to be a more sort of um, fleshed out tournament player, and to be uh, consistently pushing for um, uh, for fifty fifty ratios, uh, and looking to make that move to you know go four and six in that sort of realm, and you know maybe there's the possibility of uh, you know doing well at some smaller tournaments. Um, but yeah, the yeah, really, really good. Really did enjoy it. Um, so now I'm going to take you through a, a quick summary of uh, the games. Don't worry, and I've gone through it in detail. I'm just going to say what the the game was, uh, the name of the players, and uh, what the result was. Uh, just because I know some of that information did get uh, did get missed because I didn't have it to hand. But yeah, the scores, you have to rely on what I said earlier because they don't seem to, unfortunately, to still be up on the Tawny website, which is what manages uh, all of Articon's games. So let's quickly go through this. Uh, so uh, round one of uh, the Articon World Doubles Championship uh, was myself and Paul, obviously, which will be the case with all these, against uh, Dirk uh, Tamsa and Thys Dijon. Um, which you're, uh, I'm sorry if I've butchered your names, fellas. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, Jewel of Wits. Um, then we had round two, which was No Escape. And that was against uh, Jake Robson and uh, Imogen Lidbetter. Um, sorry, Imogen, if I have said your last name wrong. Uh, I think this is going to be a recurring theme of me getting it uh, slightly incorrect. But yeah, Imogen was obviously in, a, in our team and they were playing with uh, the Ugluk Scout, uh, Legendary Legion. Then we had round three, uh, which was uh, Cornered, which was against Akeem Vieira and Eva Vink. 
um, and uh, that was against their defensive Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. Uh, and then we had round four, Clash of Champions against uh, Marcus Raphael uh, Garrick and Kenny Runchell. They were actually from Team Denmark, I believe. Uh, and they were playing, uh, what was it? They were playing their Easterlings and uh, Corsair Alliance. Uh, and then we had uh, round five where we had Nick Morton and his teammate who were playing uh, with the Defense of Helm's Deep Legendary Legion again. And uh, then in round six, the uh, thrilling end uh, to the tournament for us was against uh, Vin Vincetti Villa Inglesias and Lucas Pina. And they were playing the uh, what's called the Fiefdoms and Gondor Alliance. And yeah, that was a, a very tight and uh, exciting game. And overall, that put us into uh, 23rd position out of 44. And our tournament points were 15. Total victory points were 22. Our victory points plus or minus was unfortunately uh, minus eight. We didn't do so well there. And it was, yeah, the three wins. Uh, three wins, three losses. And yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with that really. Um, I know both were doubles at this point. But to, yeah, go into my second ever tournament with such a deep field. With so many experienced players. I, I, I think you could maybe make an argument that one of the... The armies we played perhaps had a slightly weak list, but all the others were very strong lists and uh, everybody using them uh, clearly knew how to use them well. Maybe two were slightly weak, but I think out of those two, um, one, one of them was quite a good counter. So yeah, we did not have an easy run of it. Um, and I could I could have definitely seen us uh, picking up a, a, an extra win if myself and Paul had had uh, more time to practice. But, you know, uh, that, that's the way of things, really. But, yeah, to, to turn up and me and Paul didn't really know each other that well at the beginning of the tournament, never played a game together. Um, really, really happy. And I, I always said right from the beginning that, you know, um, Getting that break-even point of uh, as many wins uh, to losses uh, was a, a a great ambition of mine. Um, yeah, because I I think in general, especially at these larger tournaments or the these more well-known tournaments, well, that's what I'm basing my my experience on anyway. Um, where there is a fairly deep field, um, the standard of play is really really good. Um, there's a lot of switched-on people with uh, a lot of experience. So, no, I um, could, could not be happier. This was a really great experience. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it. So, now, on to our army. Uh, what went well and what didn't go well? So, firstly, I'm going to focus on my army because I'm obviously going to have more information about that, more insight. And I think what went very well uh, with my army is when it was able to operate as intended, which was against the majority of opponents, to be honest, um, where I was able to uh, get in there and inflict damage and do it rapidly, or able to win uh, any shooting battles, or had uh, numerical superiority in any of those circumstances where I had one of those, 
I was able to operate very, very well, and it worked very, very well. But the games where I struggled was any instance where the enemy had equivalent or larger numbers, or where I wasn't able to close with them and do damage in some manner, whether that was uh, in, in close combat or ranged combat. And specifically, I'm thinking of uh, one of the games uh, against Uglet Scouts, and one of the games against one of the uh, Defensive Helms Deep Legions. In one, um, there was lots of Fight 4, which I didn't outnumber, uh, and, in an- and in the other... Um, they were higher. Uh, they were higher fight skill, and I was getting outshot. And in both of those instances, uh, I, I know obviously there's going to be um, there's going to be positive matchups. There's going to be negative matchups. But with the relatively limited uh, amount of numbers I had, because I was in the doubles, in those situations, it did pretty rapidly either fall apart or fail to come through. So with Ugluk stat, uh, scouts. Uh, I just couldn't, I could not break through. Um, I couldn't do, without having the numbers, I couldn't do the damage I needed to do to break through and make a significant difference uh, to the game. And uh, the game was very much in, in Paul's hands. I just did my bit, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't make a huge difference to the game. Best thing I really did in that game was I did manage to outshoot the uh, uh, the Rooks, which forced them to close with us, which was... Was, was something that gave us an opportunity and then with um, the defenders of Helm's Deep Legendary Legion yeah I just got absolutely butchered with, with them having equivalent numbers and higher fight skill uh, I was just completely done uh, and it fell apart very very rapidly so I think I think that is both of those are very specific instances to doubles and playing at this or playing at this 400 points uh, limit. I think playing at 550, playing at 600, playing at 650, I can very, very easily counter that by having more bows and more numbers and making those kind of matchups less and less likely. Yeah, so I, I think that's something I'll think on if I want to play doubles again or I want to play at this uh, points level again. And I think it is something that could be countered uh, as well by thinking uh, about the other half of the force. Like, for instance, if the other half of the force is more Harad and we can have very large numbers, like me and Chris relatively did at Warhammer World, that that helps. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of my thinking on my side. I, I think I mostly played well, um, I have to admit, in the first game. Uh, we gave ourselves the opportunity to win and it did kind of just come down to a coin toss in the end. But I didn't play my best, and Paul did say that I was being rather harsh on myself in like not seeing the just total wipeout of the king coming. And it didn't turn out that that was what cost us the game because he wasn't actually the target, but it very much could have. And if I had had that king with his fight five, unless something was getting enraged, he was going to have fight uh, a higher fight skill than everything on the table for the whole of the game, and he could have been very useful. And yeah, uh, I think it was a bit of over-exuberance, which I, I didn't really repeat, but it does stick in my mind as a, a significant mistake. The rest of it, I don't really think we made any... Uh, well, myself, I don't... Uh, Paul would have to say whether he made any significant mistakes. I didn't really see any that I think are worth uh, men- mentioning. But no, I, I was happy with the way I played. Um, uh 
uh, I think particularly like for instance with the Ugluk scouts, I, I think neither neither side really made a mistake. I was really happy with how we played. Um, that was just a very good army and um, that they, they didn't make any silly mistakes really. And you know, sometimes that's all, all it comes down to and then a few dice rolls. So no, I overall very happy with how I played. And I think the only way like, yeah, because there's been no absolutely glaring mistakes. It's just a matter of getting out there and practicing games, um, you know, letting it flow a little bit easier. And that gives you more thinking time, really. Um, I really feel sort of it's comparable to, you know, when you get into a new sport or, or, or something like that. When you initially start, you're putting in 110% effort just to do as good as everybody else. And when you get to the point where you don't need to be 100 uh, like max effort all the time to be at that level of attainment, uh, it, it frees up your energy to try and be inventive, think, think of extra things, think of what your opponents may, may be doing. And yeah, uh, with Harad at least... That's kind of where how I feel where I'm at because although at this point it's well it's twelve games we've had in a competitive theatre, um, I have played a ton of practice games with them and yeah I'm very keen to get out there and try uh, a singles tournament with Harad because that is going to be a different experience and it's going to be a new set of things to learn. Um, but yeah, I kind of, other than shaping my list in conjunction with, uh, with, with my partner, which I think is an area we could definitely, uh, improve on, which is something we're going to get onto. Um, I, I do feel like I've done the vast majority of the, uh, the learning I'm going to do with Harad in, in doubles. And now it becomes more about, uh, just putting down games, getting numbers, and do uh, and making the step of going to a singles tournament with them. So, on to Paul's half of the army. Um, I, I I really liked Paul's half of the army, and I think it offered a, a, a lot to our overall force in that he had uh, three heroes and nine might, and I really liked that. One thing that I think was a slight fall down is he had um, a lot of black Norminorians, uh, good defense, good courage. Um, and that terror and the terror just never never really massively came into it in one game with cornered um, when we got into the ruin and set up the terror wall it was useful there because one failed charge in that instance was pretty devastating uh, to our opponents but the rest of the two days it didn't really play a factor um, I think having a ring wraith and having the minus one to courage um and being able to drain courage uh, on heroes could have made a, a big difference there. And yeah, I think just them on their own, it didn't really make enough of an impact uh, to make a significant difference. And because of their relatively high cost, it did limit his numbers, which did exacerbate some of the weaknesses with my force. But no, I, I yeah, I, I don't think that our overall force was like you know toward, more towards negative than positive. I, I really liked our, our combined forces, and I, I think if we were to do it again, um, obviously we would have more time if we were to do it again. It would just be really thinking about how we could properly build even further on the synergies uh, between our, our two lists. Uh, and cover each other's weaknesses I I even more than we did, um, so that, like for instance, in those two matchups, like 
the, the the fact he didn't have any range troops, and I know that's not necessarily an easy fix in a pure Mordor force. There are orc trackers, but the fact he didn't have any, it increased my chances, for instance, of getting outshot. And the fact that he had relatively low numbers increased our chances of uh, being outnumbered. So yeah, just those things really. But no, that's sort of my takeaway uh, of our forces. Yeah, uh, they they could have been refined and perfected uh, a bit further, but I don't think they really held us back. Um, we we lost the games we lost uh, for for other reasons. Two out of the three times for sure, uh, and one of them maybe it was a bit. It, I think it was half our overall strategy and uh, and half the matchup. Um, but you are always going to have a bad matchup and. Uh, I guess winning those bad matchups is really what uh, sets those top top players apart. Is that that they've got to the top ten uh, by winning a bad matchup, and yeah, hopefully that's just something that comes with experience. So now on to talking about the tournament itself, and I think the tour it is easy as an outsider to come in. I think for me than most people, and just take to take for granted what the significance of Articon as uh, an event like you know if if you've been to conventions if you've been to any sort of you know big organized event we are used to going to these sort of well organized large events in, in sort of many aspects of of different hobbies and things but the thing is is that not everybody is doing this for middle earth strategy battle game it is quite unique in the UK and on a worldwide scale, to be uh, holding a tournament uh, of this large—that's uh, this large—and especially that has this many uh, international members uh, coming. So yeah, I just want to take a, a, a moment there to sort of uh, pay a bit of respect to James and his team uh, of what they are actually doing. And um, if I do offer any criticism, I do think it needs to be he- held uh, against that. You know the the impressiveness and uh, the good aspects of it that they're in direct control of far outweigh any negatives. And when somebody's not doing something for profit, when they're doing it on the side and it's not their main job, when you take that into consideration, it is again Im- impressive that there's only the small amount of sort of criticisms you can really uh, hold against it. But I am going to go through the good and I am going to go through the bad. So first of all, uh, let's start with um, sort of information for the tournament. That's all very good if you use Facebook especially or you don't need to use well if you use Facebook especially there's sort of a direct line to to James there he's sharing information fully in the year run-up as soon as he's able to in the process of the tournament and you've got the option of uh, contacting him directly and he's very available makes himself very available so that's excellent really and then even if you don't use Facebook uh, you've got the ability to go on the tourney website and there is a lot of information on there Um, I'm not really sure on the history of it but I'm I'm fairly sure it's like you know a, a website that uh, they have had created especially for this and I think maybe they use it for a few other tournaments I don't know but it's definitely used for Articon and there's uh, all the information you could need on there I will say that I find the website a little counterintuitive it feels a bit like a rat run with some of the information uh, and I think it could be laid out a little bit simpler uh, and and perhaps a, a a quick link 
sort of channel on the on the left hand side that shows the the path you've taken to get there would be of benefit um i often find myself just going back to the main page uh, and stuff like that um once you get used to it you know where to find things definitely going in it's it's not a natural fit if you've never seen it um it can be a little confusing at first you'll get there in the end but it could be better is all i'm saying being as um a lot of people go go to this tournament and it's their first time going to this tournament there's there's always new players there it's just something to consider i would uh, i would say but no very good website um it does everything you can imagine it does all the matchups uh and then i also like the fact that you can go on there and you can see where you came you can see your points you can see who you played uh, you can see each other's lists uh i really like that and i like that all the information seems to stay up there forever we'll say when i went on there earlier it does seem like the individual points uh, from each game may have disappeared maybe that's a mistake or, or, or a fault but yeah uh, a vast majority of stuff seems to stay on there forever and yes yeah, re that's really good one thing I, i'm going to mention though is that frequently it does get overloaded um, during the tournament there was a lot of instances where people were being asked to to come off the website and go on it in phases and stuff uh, i'm not sure how it's hosted but that's definitely an area that could be improved i know that they're try trying to do this uh, for cost but yeah it's it's difficult not to point the finger at that when you know how many people are coming i mean maybe james is let down by his his provider there maybe they've said to him you know 300 people can go on this one at once and it'd be no problem and maybe they're letting him down so uh we don't know the full story but that was an issue uh that did come up multiple times over uh, over the four days and yeah just again you know another small thing uh that could be improved it certainly didn't stop the tournament progressing uh, or anybody having a good time but it did lead uh, to uh, a few delays and I'm sure a bit of uh, stress for James and the other TOs. Um, what else? Now this one it is my biggest single criticism of the tournament overall um, because particularly with what I've mentioned about like I, I was sort of recovering from COVID it really really did affect my enjoyment of the tournament uh, and I know other people who weren't having such temperature regulation issues at the very least found it uncomfortable and it wasn't ideal uh, and it, this is not James's fault at all this is the McCure Hotel's uh, fault uh, I understand it was a bit of a mini heat wave when we were there but that is what air conditioning is for and there uh, and they have a very big hall, which they obviously rent out for events, and their air conditioning was absolutely not fit for purpose, and it had a real effect on the enjoyment of the the tournament. I I think if you're very like like I was saying earlier about the level of effort you have to put in, I think if you're a much more experienced tournament player then you're, you're going to be stressing yourself mentally, not as much as somebody um, that is playing at their limit due to their experience. And I found it very difficult uh, to do my best and to play the games as quick uh, as quickly as you would expect in the conditions that were offered. It, it was genuinely terrible. I, I think at times we we were actually perhaps looking at around 30 degrees 
temperature in there. It was very bad. And yeah, uh, to be honest, they should be offering uh, the Arlecon organisers some sort of partial refund uh, for that alone. It was it was totally inexcusable the the temperature levels in there when you say that you've got air conditioning yeah and uh i i know you may be like oh well i have to play in a village hall i have to play in a community center and we just have to put up with it when it's hot and put up with it when it's cold yes i i, I do get that but it is not cheap to attend this uh, tournament and it is especially not cheap when you're also staying as a guest at the hotel uh, both of which i did and when you are paying for something when it's written that you're getting something you expect it to be delivered so that's why uh, i'm so heavily criticizing now on the rest this is going to be <laughs> yeah i'm just on a bit of a trail of negativity here but i i I, I promise you more positives uh, are coming but yeah putting it bluntly manchester is an interesting city and personally i am not a big fan of cities and uh I know I live in Coventry and it's not exactly known as a place that many people visit on holiday or anything like that. But yeah, Manchester has some ups and downs in terms of areas. And in Piccadilly Gardens, where the Mercure is based, uh, at certain times of day, putting it bluntly, is just absolute hell. At the best of times during the day, it is a rather rough and busy area of a major metropolitan city. And a good example of that is that Paul was literally robbed for his chicken when he went out for lunch on one of the days. A uh, homeless man who I'm sure, you know, um, was having a rather hard time time of it. This led him uh, to this point in his life. Yeah, grabbed his chicken out of his hands and then yelled abuse at Paul. So, and there was nobody about that was in a position to help and that was during broad daylight yeah it is not a great area to be it's not a great area to be traveling into uh it's very busy and yeah just uh i saw a lot of crime in the relatively short time i was there it, it, it's not like going to the nec in birmingham uh for an event where you know it, it's a um a custom built area um there's a high police pre uh, presence and uh security and everything's well managed and it's a relatively sanitized area you can drive in in your car get out go to the event and the entire thing's pleasant the surrounding area yeah i i don't really there's a lot of places you can eat uh and a lot of shops i guess that's the best thing i can say about the surrounding area I wouldn't really say that it's got great transport links because it's right in the centre of Manchester. So wherever you're coming, you're going to be experiencing congestion or uh, train changes of some sort. It's not a straight shot in there. The Mercure Hotel itself, it's the kind of hotel that if I was put up there by work, I would come back and speak to HR who had booked that travel trip and be like, never ever send me there again. You've just wasted the company's money in terms of cost and it was not a, a great experience for me it was clean but it's not exactly modern food was mediocre at best yeah i'm uh, i'm sorry i'm sure there must be some history as to why it's been chosen as a lo location uh, i'm guessing cost again um being in uh, a notable area that's got reasonable travel costs has a, a large enough hall uh actually wants to take on uh the event i'm sure there are lots of reasons but 
these two aspects are not something that added to the positivity uh, for me and it's something that I don't see mentioned. Um, my advice would be to not stay at the McCure Hotel if you're looking to go to Ardacon. Book at one of the nearby hotels. Nothing can be done about the surrounding area it's in. It's being held where it is. But even with the discount, I wasn't happy uh, with the service I got. I wasn't happy with the breakfast I had. My room was clean. That's about the best. Uh, and I and I had a reasonable night's sleep. Uh, it wasn't particularly loud. Oh, and the aircon was actually good in, in the individual rooms. And the only final thing I would comment in terms of, uh, of negative for the tournament is the cost. But it is quite an expensive ticket. And then once you factor in all the accommodation and the travel, I, I, I think if you if you do it efficiently, you're looking at £400. And if you're factoring in the fact that you're away, you're paying for food and stuff like that, that figure could very easily be higher for you. And I think, as with anything, you need to assess as an individual uh, whether that's value for money for you. I am not saying that it is not value for money. I'm not saying that is a bad price for it. I'm saying for me, as a one-off, I'm really, really glad I did the tournament. Will I be there in 2023? Uh, at least for next year, I've made the decision that I, I would prefer to use that money to go to many tournaments across the year rather than just go to that one tournament. So yeah, actually, maybe that is a bit harsh calling that as a negative. I just think it's something that needs to be taken into consideration with this particular tournament. Anyway, I think I've spoken enough in sort of a, a negative manner, but hopefully you can at least see that I, uh, I think, you know, the vast majority of those negatives are just around executive decision that James and the other organisers uh, have had to make probably both based both on their geographical location and cost. I'm not saying they made the wrong decisions. I'm just saying, for me, I, I didn't enjoy those aspects. But I understand there is probably a lot of history and a lot of thought that's gone into making those choices. Anyway, now we will move on in earnest to really focus on the positives of this tournament. Because, um, yeah, I think I started, I was going to do, I, I ran and I've just ran down that rabbit hole. But, yeah, the, the biggest positive uh, I can give, which is something that I, I uh, touched on at the beginning of the tournament, is I think this is the only tournament in the entire world that has a fair claim to being a proper world championships uh, i think there's an argument perhaps even to make that this is the only tournament in the world that can truly call itself uh, an internationally hosted tournament i'm sure there are opens and things like that that do get from their relative position foreigners coming to the host nation for that tournament but to my knowledge and I would love to be corrected and find out about other tournaments that host a large regular contingent of uh, international attendees. So please do write to me if I am incorrect on this. But I cannot think of a tournament that year in, year out is getting people from various countries that you can count on you can't count on your hands in terms of how many countries they're coming from and uh yeah the field is incredibly deep and you have undoubtedly the best active players in the world uh, attending this tournament there are a few that you know 
uh, admittedly, like I'm particularly thinking of Australia, that perhaps they, they can't come because of time and cost reasons. But in general, you are seeing the deepest field possible because you're getting the best of the best coming from uh, across Europe, from uh, North America, from Asia and the Australia. Australasia, I think that's the right way of saying it, area. You are, I wasn't aware of any African attendees, but I wouldn't put it past that there are some. Yeah, just in, incredible in terms of the depth of field. And if if you want to test your metal, if you want to be challenged and play on the best and deepest field possible, I can't think of any anywhere else that is going to top this. I, I think that next year when things are running at full capacity and they've not got people that have got sort of like not taking up their uh, not taking up their tickets because they've been deferred and they can't make it and so on like there were there were some complications like that. I think you are easily next year talking 160 attendees possibly as many as 200 you would have to check on their facebook page and find out just how many they're going to have in the singles event you will not find anything like that anywhere else in the world yeah it is truly a world championships and um for me as a newbie and to advice to new tournament attendees i feel like like you immediately have to put yourself out there and you have to be social and you have to make the effort to talk to people not only at the gaming table but go for the drinks at the bar afterwards and you know uh, put yourself out there and be friendly I feel as a new player that this was a fantastic way to sort of kickstart into not the hobby of Middle Earth because I was obviously very much involved with that and I've got my own mini scene around me but into the wider UK scene it was like, uh, yeah, it, it, it was like a nitro boost into that community. Um, it helped that I had sort of made some friends on Facebook that were then introducing me to people. But I, I've, I've met so many people that are tournament organisers and uh, help run tournaments and, and things like that and are involved with their local scenes. I don't think four out of five of them i'm gonna have to be like oh i remember you and we're gonna have to catch up on names and things it's not like every single person was my friend there and i took their names and stuff but it is going to be nice moving forward going to tournaments and being like oh i i I know you from that do you recognize me and you know having at least a level of familiarity and there was quite a few people that yeah i'm going to be able to catch up on names and then we're uh, going to be um, chatting and picking up uh, from where we were before and uh, yeah I did make quite a few you know it's almost like work friends we're, we're not <laughs> we're not texting each other all the time but on the tournament scene I'm gonna have those friends at the tournaments and um, I, I can put a message on, on Facebook asking if anybody's going to this and if maybe none of my friends from my media area are going I'm gonna have those people there uh, as a friendly face and uh, yeah that was a really really great aspect of it and uh, I was really happy with that. Uh, another great aspect was obviously you would worry with so many people attending that there would um, be a, uh, a lack of tables or a lack of scenery. I have no idea where they get it from, I have no idea where it's store- stored from, like whether it's a ton of people bringing it along or whether James just has some sort of warehouse somewhere storing all this stuff. But yeah, 
there were more tables than were needed. There was uh, scenery on all of the tables. Um, everything was provided that you would expect at a tournament. Um, it was very well uh, equipped. Um, lighting was uh, adequate. Yeah, it was. It was. It was very good. Um, I would say on the tables that this is a this is a proper competition sort of layout tables uh, all of them i would say there's about three or four schemes it's all very uh, familiar uh, terrain if you've uh, played middle earth before uh, uh, there's a lot of pieces you will recognize and it's a and it is quite standardized across the tables you know uh, this isn't a criticism it's for tournament play i'm just saying that this is not a theme event i don't want to turn up at what i'm considering to be a hyper competitive event and there is like a really nice feature bit of terrain but it completely screws with my army or there is a glut of trees and i'm playing against elves something like that you know something that would significantly throw the the balance only thing i would possibly say is there was an appropriate amount of trees and terrain that horses could travel over freely but infantry couldn't but it would have maybe been nice to see uh, some water features but i am sort of picking up that that is something that doesn't really seem to be included at many tournaments another positive i would say is the professionalism of the event and how it is run uh, you can tell that this is an event that has been run for many years most of the volunteers the people that help james run the event have been involved for uh, many years uh, they've got their own front of house team really that are checking in talking to you can give you advice if uh, you're not sure how any anything is running they're all very uh, friendly and helpful punctuality in terms of everything absolutely everything ran on time uh, in, in as far as you can expect uh, i'm not saying like it, they said starting at 10 and immediately started at 10 but you get what i mean it was starting at around around 10 and things moved very swiftly going back when we were talking about the the app the website that is the only thing that held things up a couple of times i would say about half the time it was because of server instability and half the time it was because people weren't checking in uh their results and there's not when you've got this many people you can't be going around and talking to people on an individual basis so there's absolutely nothing they could be doing about half of that they had, they had things for sale they had raffles yeah it was all very good i think there was a quiz one evening i, d I didn't take part in that one thing i would say is that maybe for the amount of people it would be nice to see a couple uh, a couple more tournament organizers uh for rules clarifications um I, I think i wound up going to james the vast majority of the time when i did have rules uh queries but there was one instance where it did lead to I would say at least 10 minutes of our game time being eaten up waiting for somebody to come and help with rules maybe as long as 15 it felt like an age and uh in the doubles it wasn't an issue but moving on to the singles just because my experience in the doubles there were a couple of times when i probably should have said no let's get a to and do a rules clarification here and i didn't and i do regret that um so yeah that's just a, a, a minor thing uh they need people to volunteer at the end of the day they can't make people do 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 it so there's there's not a lot that can be done about that if people aren't volunteering but yeah i i hope i haven't 
because obviously you've heard me talk for well over an hour about essentially what a great time I've had at the tournament. So I hope that the fact that I do want to give the full picture, that yeah, I did really want to talk about the accommodation. I did really want to talk about the venue because not to throw shades at a shade at people, others that have reviewed it, but I've just not heard anybody mention that. And I, I found that a bit boggling that it was like those two aspects like the surrounding area and the venue were two of the biggest negatives about the entire thing and i've just found it a bit amusing that nobody has mentioned it so i'm sorry if i did spend a bit uh, an over amount of time on that but yeah uh, as ever we're, we're not influenced by anything here at, at middle earth and mercy podcast and i wanted to give a true unbiased uh, opinion of the good and the bad and uh, i think that for this one just based on the fact like particularly if you're coming from the south of england or you're coming from scotland or you're coming from wales uh or you're coming internationally i i do think this is a tournament that you do need to consider is this something i'm going to make this special effort to go to as a one-off because it is sort of a pinnacle on the worldwide calendar or maybe you are a super competitive player and you've been dominating your local area and you want the next big challenge and you want this in your calendar to go year after year after year there are people that this tournament is absolutely perfect for and I'm not saying this is a bad tournament at all I'm saying this is one of the best tournaments in the world but I'm saying you can be the sort of player that is not quite right for you year after year. And I, I think the reason why I do ha- I have spent a fair amount of time saying, look, these are the negatives, is because I'm one of those players, at least at this point in terms of my, my tournament journey, I don't have any plans to go to Articon again for the foreseeable future. So that's at least 2023. I would be surprised if I have a change of heart in 2024. I see myself going to ideally six tournaments a year. Uh, it depends how many one dayers I can find because um, I, th- I think that is something I really want to try out. I think it awesome two dayers that are on my doorsteps. Uh, on my doorstep not doorsteps I don't have multiple houses. Just because I, I, I do like being able to sleep in my own home to be honest and it adds a lot of cost and I do have more than one hobby and there's a time investment there and so uh, and so on and and for me this was a massive investment of time uh, and resources and I think I would prefer for this cost I can go to four separate tournaments possibly even four separate two dayers uh, depending on how far away they are so that is why yeah, I hope it hasn't come across a negative picture, but I view it as a balanced picture, is I've come to that conclusion. And circling right round to like question I posed at the beginning of, is this a right the right tournament for a beginner? That entirely depends on you. I think this, for my first year, this was the right tournament for me. This was a great way for me to sort of, you know, really speed up my development as a player, really show me what it takes if I do want to be competitive in a deep field and, 
yeah, I've, I've been through that from everything from practicing, knowing your army, and also making sure that you've got a army you're, you're familiar with and is competitive as a list. That's not everything, but you know, it's part of it. There's this, this whole picture. And then thrusting me into the social side of things. This was definitely the right choice to go to this tournament this year. And it could be the right choice for you, but you need to make up your, your own mind. You know, if you've made the decision you want to go to tournaments and from everything you've heard, it's something you would enjoy. I would be very surprised if somebody attended this tournament and came back and said, I've had an overall bad time. This was a negative experience. I sort of feel if if you're coming away with that, there's a higher likelihood that you would come away saying that at any tournament. It is perhaps not for you, but not one I would universally recommend you, you need to have a bit of, th- of a think about it just because of the investment of time and uh, money in a year like this and everything that's going on in the world you do need to think carefully about what you do with those uh, limited resources you've got so yeah I, I hope that's given you something to think about if you haven't attended Ardagon and um, I hope that's been interesting for those of you uh, who are also Ardagon attendees of someone else's viewpoint um maybe some of what i've said re- uh, resonates I, I would love to hear from someone out there that actually enjoys the mercure um have i been too harsh let me know it'd be good to get others thoughts i know there's a lot of people they go year after year after year and it would be really interesting to get your point of view what particularly out of everything i've said is it that really appeals to you about Articon? is it the deep feel is it the social side of things which was really great in the evening it was that was something that was really awesome because when you're there for like three nights you can really uh m- make some some new friends um that was a great aspect of it So there you go, everyone. That was my Articon doubles uh, special feature, as it were, that the entire season has been building towards. I will be honest, this is the majority of the Articon coverage I've got. I am going to go into the singles and the team event and also the Chaos in Arda in the next episode, but it's not quite as comprehensive. And uh, we'll go through in that episode why that is. But yeah, I think there's some some interesting stuff to listen to there but that's why I've more sort of done a full review of the tournament in this one because this is the main focus of this episode and it's going to be sort of part of the next one but yeah thank you so much to everybody that's come on this journey with us who's listened to all six episodes leading up to this and also for patiently waiting for the release of this one I'm sure you'll be in the great people you are with the explanation I've given at the beginning every understands why it has taken so long but thank you all the same i'm going to look at it as a positive that this has been released in the winter rather than the summer because perhaps this will be some good background painting noise for you to listen to in these dark winter months when we don't get a lot of sunlight if you live in the northern hemisphere but yeah thank you 
once again for listening. I really do hope you've enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed going to the event and putting it together. I really think this is our best episode, uh, even if perhaps I've been a little bit long-winded in my uh, full assessment of everything. But with a tournament as prestigious and well-regarded as Articon amongst the community, I I wanted to, if I was going to say some negatives, I wanted to give it a fair airing and to properly weigh up everything and explain my conclusions rather than just sort of you know making flippant comments because an event like this takes an incredible amount of effort from the team to put together and everything I said I hope is held in that light of the deep respect of what they've actually achieved and they should be very proud uh, of the event that they put on uh, year after year and the fact that so many people come back to it. In uh, true Middle Earth and Mercia fashion, I'm going to simplify things down to a simple score rating. Now, I don't think with an event like this, where so much of my negatives, as it were, was focused around one feature, that it would be fair to give one collated score. So I'm going to give two. So for the venue and location... I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. It is adequate, and that is the best I can really say. It does not add to the event. The It, it, it is a hotel, and that's going to have negatives in and of itself, but it's a poor hotel. And yeah, you've even with a discount, the bar's overpriced, food subpar. It's not somebody you somewhere you would actively choose to go stay. So that is why that has got a negative score. It's not got all like it's not two out of ten because it was it was clean and it was adequate. However, if next year were to experience another heat wave, I, I would sell that ticket. I would not go. Yeah, they would have to pay me to go play a tournament for four days. Uh, in that environment again even if I wasn't recovering from COVID so yeah venue and location 4 out of 10 the event itself I score it very highly at an 8 out of 10 I I think that although I've separated it out from the venue it needs a better venue with better transport links and uh, that's more value for money for what you're paying for the room even with the discount so i think me and paul had a double room um and splitting it and the 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 savings you get with that it was costing us 50 pound a night and uh since i spoke about this earlier i have actually looked up the cost of the tournament so i think my ticket that i paid for was 100 pounds for the four day event so 25 pound a day so for the actual event not too bad but then you've got the accommodation of 50 pounds a night that takes you up to 250 then 50 quid uh for uh the the travel cost to get up there and parking and then, yeah, easily another hundred pound in in drinks and food. So that's how I got to that four hundred figure. But they're they're um just to fill you all in the full picture of what their costs are this year for the three day uh, tournament and convention pass. It's ninety pounds, which yeah, not bad at all. That's thirty pound a day for a three day tournament. Um, you can tell that they're obviously doing that at cost to just keep the thing running and then four day tournament 105 pounds even even better you're getting that extra day for 15 pounds so uh when i talk about the cost i'm not directly criticizing the cost of the ticket to be there it's more the associated cost because it's right in central manchester which makes it very hard to commute there for any of the days from 
even 25 miles away because you've got to go into central Manchester, which means vast, vast majority of people are going to have to stay there. Uh, and then admittedly, if they held it outside of Manchester, uh, I, I don't know Manchester well, but if there was like a convention centre or, or something at a hotel near, obviously that's going to have its own associated prices uh, and costs and you're going to limit your choice. At, at least at this one, there are various hotels. But yeah, uh, so yeah, that's what where one point is coming away from. And the other point that is coming away from it is just simply uh, I think it does need uh, a few more TOs uh, on hand it did take quite a long time to uh, to get rules queries uh, sorted but no I, I, I like 80 percent 8 out of 10 that is a very good score I recommend but because of the associated costs you need to decide whether pros which are significant are the right pros for you uh, to make that commitment in terms of time and money but definitely a recommendation just not a universal recommendation and on a personal note my thanks uh, goes out to all the organizers including uh, James Clark for hosting such a great event and uh, I know it must have been difficult getting so many complaints about the, the temperature and the heat which was, at that point was completely out of his control but he did his absolute best to make every moment of it enjoyable and he was there in the evening chatting to people i had about 15 20 minute chat to him he's a really nice bloke and uh now moving on to the future we have one more episode in season two where i am going to wrap up uh, the final part of coverage of Articon, as promised. I hope to have that with you soon. And then in 2023, we will be kicking off, I'm glad to say, with Season 2. Now, I'm going to do Season 2 a little bit differently, in that I have felt, you know, it, it, even when I had that sort of period of downtime that I've explained it felt like a bit of a weight on my back that I'd made this commitment to get it out. So season two, I'm going to just be limiting what I've got planned in, in, in terms of scope and what the end goal is. And I'm just going to be sort of giving an update at the end of each episode, what you can expect from the next episode. But what I I have got my first to tournament booked in for the beginning of next year and there will be coverage for that uh, i'm not going to say when because like i say I, I want this to be able to be i feel like going and doing the podcast i'm going to go and do the podcast and uh there are ways people can uh contribute their support both in sharing the podcast and monetarily if they so wish but that's not the reason this is being done so there's no real commitment that i need to be on a regular uh release schedule or feel any pressure like this so yeah i i i think that is very much something i've built up in my own mind rather than something somebody has put upon me but i think that's one way i can deal with that so yeah one more episode to come of season one which will be a roundup uh, really of ardcon and a massive catch-up on hobby progress and what we've got planned for 2023 uh, i'm looking forward to 2023 it's going to be a different journey and a different objective and yeah i, I want to save all uh, i could go on and on but i want to save all the hobby uh, talk for next time out because that's going to be the majority of that episode so i hope this has found you well i hope you've enjoyed it 
I really look forward to uh, chatting with you again. My passion, now that some serious stuff in my life has calmed down, my passion is well and truly back. I love this game. I love uh, I love the hobby side of things. And I really enjoy the social aspect and the enjoyment that me and my friends are getting out of it. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to bring them on the podcast to chat about it soon too. And the progress they've made, because that's quite exciting. Yeah, some real challenges coming out of them. Anyway. Have a great time. Find time uh, for your hobby amongst all this ramp up uh, towards Christmas. And I'll speak to you soon.